Did you miss us? Welcome to episode 30 of Sketch Watch Play. I am John Flurry. I am Ben Reynolds. And we are Geek Pop Culture Podcast, talking TV, movies, cartoons, and video games. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, and in most general podcast directories and apps. Please consider subscribing to us on your platform of choice to stay up to date. Follow us on social media. We're at SketchWatchPlay on Twitter and also Facebook.com slash SketchWatchPlay. And we encourage you to leave feedback on those, leave reviews on iTunes, or even email us directly at SketchWatchPlay at gmail.com. Tell us what you like, what you don't like, and even suggest possible topics for us to talk in the future. We are open to those. So I'm pretty sure this ends one of the longest spaces in between episodes that we've ever had. I was just checking uh, our feed today, and we did have a similar lengthy pause between, I think, the Rayman and Yuri on Ice episodes. I can't remember why. Uh, but yeah, it's been by the time this goes up, it'll probably have been about a month and a half since the Death Parade episode got published. Uh, and really, the reason behind that, it's a multitude of reasons that I have been bringing up on the Facebook and Twitter accounts. So if you've read those, you know that for a long time, the original plan for episode for this episode was to bring back my brother Patrick as a guest. So go listen to the Pokemon or Christopher Nolan Batman episodes to hear him. So we were going to do another big retrospective on the Ninja Turtles franchise as a whole since the two of us grew up on them. And it's a property that's continued to be revived and reinterpreted, particularly in TV and movies. Our plan is to cover all the TV shows and all the movies and touch on some other random other memories like games and comics and the like. But we had to hold off recording plans for a little while uh, because first, at the end of July, our parents finally kicked off this family vacation to Ireland they've been planning for a while. So them, me, Patrick, and our sister uh, around the world to... We have some ancestral roots there on my dad's side mainly, so it was a place we'd be interested in seeing. It wasn't a place with easy internet access, uh, and we were busy enough doing visiting a lot of places and doing stuff with, with you know, the family. So once we got back in early August, we started planning things again. Uh, but since the plan was discussed, like I said, every Turtles property to varying degrees, and Patrick hasn't seen much of them beyond, I think, the four kids show and the CG movie were the last Turtles-related things he watched. Uh, so he requested to me... Uh, give a, give him a little more time, delay the recording, so he could he could get up to speed on things and check out a lot of these for the first time. And unfortunately, a few days before that planned recording, his girlfriend suffered a death in the family, and he took a cross country trip for the rest of that week to spend some time with her and her family at home. Uh, and by this point, we mutually agreed we should bump this TMNT talk up to be episode 31, and I should reach out to uh, previous uh, guests and possible new ones to see who would want to fill this void and what they would want to talk about. And uh, Ben was the first to properly jump at the offer and get back to me uh, and suggested a series that I have heard about for many years but have never actually watched. So I thought it was a cool pick, and I was interested in both finally seeing this and sharing my impressions of it here, along with some other recent media we've consumed. So, Ben, for those who missed it, you made your first appearance on this show earlier this year when you joined both me and Chris to discuss Voltron Legendary Defender, which we all heartily recommend, and I believe just had a new season on Netflix. But for any listeners who don't remember or missed that episode, tell us a little about yourself and your interest in projects, old and new. Um, so I am a 2D animator professionally, and um, I, I draw a lot and consume a lot of video games and stuff like that, and also uh, been a longtime friend, friend of Chris's. Yes, and, and I had actually seen your art before, but it wasn't until more recently that I knew you knew Chris personally, which was cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I was on here before you guys asked me to talk about Voltron, and uh, I have actually haven't seen, I'm like two seasons behind right now, actually. You're still like four seasons ahead of me or however many there are. <laughs> I still need to c- catch up. <laughs> uh, yeah, but right now I'm, um, I am I work full-time for a uh, internet security awareness uh, company that 
produces animated uh, training videos that are sort of like movies. And in my spare time, I work on um, uh, my own personal project, Chris Slash. Mm-hmm. And I, I was also working on um, an indie game, uh, Tangerine, which I sort of, it was supposed to be a thing uh, between animated product projects where I was going to take a break because I was a little burnt out from Chris Slash. And now I'm kind of burnt out from making video games. So I've uh, like completely completely jump back into working on Chris Slash. So, I get it. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm working on the third episode now, and I'm, I'm also in the middle of uh, redoing the intro. Oh, so you're doing... Because it's been both a webcomic and a uh, web cartoon, right? Yeah, so, yeah, it originally started as a, a comic series, and I remade it as an animated series. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and um, so there, there's two episodes out right now, and uh, it's been about maybe a year to two years between um, now and the release of the second episode. Mm-hmm. And uh, I took like a little bit of a hiatus because I was also kind of burnt out. And now I'm going to um, finish the last two episodes. So it was originally planned as a five episode series, but I think it's going to end up being a four episode series with longer episodes. Oh, I can see yeah. that. So you don't have to, it's not like you have to throw out a lot of story material. Um, yeah, well, I kind of, I don't know why, I, I kind of just had five episodes embedded in my brain, and when I kind of looked over the material, I it was like, this really could, yeah, I was like, this really could just be two episodes. Okay, so, that's two, cool. Two more episodes instead of three more episodes. Yeah, and I, I'll really quickly just th- throw out a couple of pr- other personal updates myself, um, and not, not to try and take, take, draw be a utist or anything, because I've been doing, I have, it's been a while, I've been doing some more YouTube stuff, uh, I guess relevant to what we talked about in the past. Um, I put up a trailer the other week. I'm finally finishing, speaking of web animation, finally finishing the next uh, WarioWare Tuned episode. Uh, because if you know me, you know I love that series. And WarioWare Gold came out earlier this month and uh, has totally reignited my fandom for that series. Uh, <laughs> I've also been doing a lot of shit posting about it on, uh, on Tumblr and Twitter and the like. Uh, one thing I did was edit... Uh, have you played WarioWare? I've played classic WarioWare. Do you remember that right. alien? Or yes. Yes, so I do. His cutscene in this is him going to a drive-thru and, and being finding out they're out of burgers. And I dubbed it over with a scene from The Big Six where he's – so he's Kumail, Kumail Nanjiani screaming obscenities at the, <laughs> at the, <laughs> at the uh, intercom. And some girl got such a kick out of it, she drew proper Orbulon uh, fan art of him screaming those lines, which that's the first time I've seen anything like that happen, which blew my mind. <laughs> so, yeah, mainly working on that uh, and some drawings. Uh, the other one drawing, I'll, I'll, it, took me, it took me long enough, our recent episode with uh, Felipe Diaz Vera where we talked about our rhythm game retrospective, I finished drawing a proper uh, custom thumbnail art for it, which is like a, a bunch of the characters we, from games we talked about, Parappa, Felipe Diaz. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that, actually. Yes, Ooh La La and a bunch. And... So if you go and re-download the episode or whatever app you use, it'll be there. And not just that, I finally went and added timestamps for all the individual games we talk about. So if you just want to jump to Parappa or Guitar Hero or the like, it'll be a lot easier now. Uh, and lastly, I have brought back the fast, and that's certainly ended up being the most popular thing I do on YouTube. I've done some uh, changes regarding the, the videos I've done with my grandma. Uh, like I recently did the Smash Brothers one and I've done some movie stuff in the past with her. Because people love them, but I didn't want that to be the defining feature of my channel. So it is migrated, and she will now be having her own independent channel. We, oh, wow. Uh, which people seemed okay with. I did a video elaborating on it. No dislikes or anything. So I, I'm glad people are willing to deal with that. And I'm fine with you know the rest of the videos. I normally do getting less views because you know React videos are huge on YouTube, and she's a very good source for that. And I'm hoping that our next one, which 
I will hopefully be recording this two days from this recording. Uh, she has never seen Toy Story. Oh man, she <laughs> she had never seen any Disney Renaissance films until I showed them to her. She hadn't seen oh, Beauty and the wow. Beast. She hadn't I, seen I, Aladdin. She hadn't seen Lion King. And now uh, Beauty and the Beast is her favorite cartoon that I've ever watched with her. So it took her long enough. And I'm excited for her. I, w- yeah. I wish I could be. I wish I could reset. And, and be in that state where I'd never seen like a, a lot of the um, the Renaissance stuff. Yeah, or Toy Story. Still yeah, yeah. wonderful film. Um, I rewatched In Preparation. Holds up great. So we'll, I'll be recording her thoughts to that and and, and assuming she has enough good reactions, which I, think she, which I think she will going by. I didn't record the Disney ones. I think I said this before to Chris or someone. When we watched Lion King, she was remembering all the African names. So it's like, oh, there's Mufasa. There's Nala. But she couldn't remember Scar's name. She just called him like <laughs> the bad thing. And I was like... Granted, the only two actors she recognized were James Earl Jones and Whoopi Goldberg. She was really excited to hear James Earl Jones. Um, so maybe that helped. But uh, He's great in that. Oh, he's fantastic. And Chris gave me a lot of shit when I said he didn't cry at his death as a kid. Um, but, <laughs> okay, that's enough about I don't about. think I cried either, but... <laughs> I was sad, but yeah. Um, moving on. So we have uh, our two main... Oh, no, we have one main topic to talk about, but we have our two current medias to talk about. Uh, first one that we'll get to is something that I've seen, but you're, you haven't, but you're okay with talking spoilers. And the second is something we have both uh, gotten lately, and is there's not really that much to spoil story-wise, because it's kind of a nostalgia uh, type thing. But you know that you know me. You know I'm not going to let any uh, Marvel MCU movie skip this podcast other than Guardians 2, but that's going to get its own episode someday. And granted, I was late to seeing it just because of personal priorities, but I knew I wanted to. So last weekend, I finally went and saw Ant-Man and the Wasp. You go low, I'll go high. I have wings. Why would I go low? And now I don't feel bad about saying the original Ant-Man took me by surprise with how much I ended up enjoying it. Because uh, that was, you know, lately they've been making some deeper cuts for, for who these the characters they introduce are. Like who had heard of the Guardians before their movie or Captain Marvel or Doctor Strange or Ant-Man. And he's also one of the ones that's the hardest sell ability-wise. Like that sounds silly, but I thought they made it work. They overcame what could have been a hooky gimmick. It did some creative and fun and very funny stuff with it. So I hope this would be able to replicate that experience with that first one. Because MCU sequels, there are a lot of good ones, but they can still be hit or miss. Look at Thor The Dark World or Iron Man 2 or even yeah, Age of Ultron. Yeah, I was going to say Iron Man 2. <laughs> yeah, or even Age of Ultron, which I think is really good, but not as good as the other Avengers movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll just I'll say real quick, um, I think it's, I don't remember if I said it already. You're, you said you haven't seen it, but you've, you're up to what the spoilers are on it, so you're okay with me yeah, talking Yeah, yeah, I've already I've been fully spoiled. But okay, like, yeah, because there are some interesting... I think seeds being planted for future uh, movies, um, but so yeah, obviously we're I'm going to talk at spoiler talk. So and we're also going to end it by do, by talking about how it connects to Infinity War and Avengers Four. So we're going to spoil that too at a certain point. We'll give, we'll give a heads up there. Now I will say I didn't find the actual story to be quite as good as the original. Kind of more straightforward, um, less of a what I feel is an important conflict. And I also think the opening ten minutes were a little clunky. Like it starts with. Another extended flashback to what happened to Janet Van Dyne when we kind of knew everything we needed to. Um, and the first scene of Scott is like, because uh, so so the idea is where was he during Infinity War? Because uh, he was supposed we thought he was possibly like broken out at the end of uh, Civil War. Turns out he compromised with the government and was placed under a year's house arrest, which is um, about to run out by the time the movie's starting. So it's showing him like reconnecting with uh, his daughter Cassie, who I, I loved Cassie in the first movie, and she's still great here too. Um, side characters that I was worried would run out, wear out their welcome here because I also love Luis and the other uh, you know burglar cohorts. 
no, they managed to not feel repetitive or played out, which I appreciate. It, that can be hard. But the opening scene with him and casting the house feels like something of like a goofy family comedy. I was like, oh, I'm not sure. But then he gets he meets up with Hank and Hope again, and we start to actually get into the, what the actual plot is. And it just uh, it doesn't let up from that point. The pacing is really good. It stays funny. It add, does more creative stuff, and I had a blast with it. Thankfully. Oh wow! Um, would you would you you would highly recommend it? Yes, like, yes, and the first one. Yes, the only um, I would still slightly recommend the first one because I think, uh, like I said, I feel like that's the one that hits the ground running and, and doesn't have a clunky opening. Uh, it also the opening act of and the wasp also does fall victim to having to drop a lot of exposition to catch you up on these characters. Oh yeah, um, and. Like I said, even though there is an emotional center to it, the way things play out in the second half didn't feel as like there wasn't that sense of urgency to me compared to the first with all the uh, Yellow Jacket stuff. Uh, but it's still very funny, and there's there's still some charm to it. Like it, it, it just I do like how it does seem to mean like the emphasis here isn't on you know technology in the wrong hands, or at least not to, to some degree, because the everything that happens with Ghost, I she's not after they knock character-wise, Killmonger and Thanos knocked it out of the park. Ghost herself is kind of a more standard uh, villain along with, I guess I'm going to spoil this here. So, Lawrence Fishburne is in this, which made me stop and think, is he the first big name from the DC Ascended Universe to be to have a notable role in the MCU? Oh, wow. He, like, crossed over? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's, he he's not a new boss, but he's an expert scientist who was a former ally with Hank, and they had a bad falling out. But, yeah, I think he could be the first in terms of playing important roles in both those movies and not, like, a bit thing. Though, I other DC movies, uh, when we finally see Janet Van Dyne, it's Michelle Pfeiffer, and she's the OG movie Catwoman, so there you go. Mm. Um, also, still looks great for six years or whatever, but not shocking. She's <laughs> She's got that... Also, I, I I did find uh, Hope a lot more attractive when she grew her hair out. I'll say that as well. Uh, oh, actually, no, no. Yeah, just to, man, just make me sound like a perp. Uh, Ghost is gorgeous once you actually see her. And I hadn't heard of her actress, Hannah John Kamen, uh, but apparently she's on Game of Thrones, which I've yet to watch. So there you go. Who does she play on Game of Thrones? Um, I can Google it. Do you, do you watch Game of Thrones? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's okay, like the on. one show I'm 100% caught up on. <laughs> hang on. Ornella. I have no idea who that is. Let me see if she has. A, <laughs> if there's a page for her on Wikipedia or something. I don't need. To, we shouldn't get too <laughs> sidetracked. But they do. They make her, and it, you know, it's revealed that the Lawrence Fishburne character is also her ally. But they aren't as horrible. Horrible. They aren't as horrible as a lot of other uh, villains <laughs> because they aren't really killing. She's someone who went through another failed quantum experiment and was left in a lot in this kind of space time perpetual flux and a lot of pain. And okay, yeah, there's no page for Nella on what I'm seeing, so I don't know, maybe a small character. So she's, you know, because the end of the first movie made Hank realize it's possible to escape the quantum realm and survive it. Then he's like, maybe we can get Jan- uh, Janet out of there, uh, even as long as she's been down there. And Ghost is like, because the quantum realm has so much unexplored energy and and benefits, and it did this to me. I want you by force. I want to take your tech and Janet to fix me. But there's there's like there's a when they first, you know, meet her and she does her exposition dump and it's also, you know, revealed, oh no, Lawrence Fishburne steps into the room, he's with her, and I was like, oh, I know what this is going No, they actually still have something of a moral code because 
she gets really she's freaking out because he's thinking like you only have a few weeks left before you just disintegrate and there's a part where she's about to run off like i'm gonna kidnap scott's daughter then then he'll have to help me and he's like he just puts his foot down like that's the line i'm not willing to cross and if you do it i'm not helping you and so she doesn't um, i think i always think it's interesting when uh they just don't make the villains just like i'm evil because i woke up like that one day well so I, yeah no she's more desperate like yeah. she's in perpetual pain she's about to die and he she, this happened to her when she was a kid, and he's been raising her ever since. But it is still like, and even though they're doing some bad, you know, some bad, destructive, dangerous things, they're, I don't think they ever actually kill anybody. Or even, at most, maybe some thugs that they make it clear. Like, there's a side villain by, played by Walton Goggins, uh, channeling Matthew McConaughey's southern characters. Um, <laughs> and there's some good moments with them, but they make it clear, like, him and his, his goons are, are dicks, so it's not too bad if they uh, get get messed up. But yeah, they they... They do more fun stuff with. I'm sure you saw in the trailers. They revisit the giant Ant Man concept from Civil War. Yeah, but yeah. Even bigger, and it actually messes with him where it's like he faints because the air is too thin for his size or something like that. Um, like they touch more on the some some of the you know scientific consequences of it. And there's also a really some really funny stuff where his belt is manufacturing at certain points. Did you see the part where he has to sneak into the school? Did not see uh, the scene when they're in the school. It, it's in the tra- trailers. There's a little joke where uh, Cassie gave him a, a world's greatest grandma trophy because it was the only family member type they had. Uh-huh. And he hid his old suit in it because, you know, obviously nobody wanted to, to find it. And so he has to sneak to school to get it for plot reasons. The, it malfunctions and he turns like he's stuck at like two, three feet tall. And so they crack a bunch of jokes about him being kid-sized. And when he gets back in the car, Hank's like, oh, you want a juice box and some crackers? And his response is just, do you actually have those? It, it, they, and also, yeah, also, uh, well, did you see the first Ant-Man? Uh, no, I didn't see that either. Ant-Man oh. was actually a hard sell for me because I just, uh, when it comes to the Marvel movies, if I didn't really, if I wasn't a fan of their comics, I, I wasn't really interested in their movies. So... Doctor Strange, uh, Thor, and Ant-Man were all hard sells for me. Did, and I ended up seeing most of the, like, uh, I saw two of the three Thor movies, and um, I saw uh, Doctor Strange, and Ant-Man was, like, the last on my list. Of okay. Movies. I mean, you might want to change that, because I feel like it might be kind of important in Avengers 4 compared to some of the other series. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, I've been hearing that, too, and I've heard nothing but good things about it. It's just... Yeah, they're really funny and really creative, and I, did you so did you read his comics back in the day? Um, Not his specific comics. Like, I, I would see him in, like, crossover and, stuff. And, and he didn't appeal to you. Stuff. Yeah, I just never... Um, I don't know. I never, I never like, really I, took I on. would give the first one a chance, because they... It's carved out its own niche, I feel, because he is... He starts out something of an everyman with a legit, you know, criminal checkered past... But he's mm-hmm. also a family man. Like, he's divorced but still thinks the world of his daughter. Mm-hmm. And I think that does a good job of making him endearing. And um, with some of the jokes, he he almost gives me Deadpool vibes at, at, at certain times. It's just like, did you see him in Civil War? Uh, yes. <laughs> what a fanboy he is. <laughs> Captain America, I've been shaking your hand too long. Oh, I know you too. You're great. So, yeah, no, I would I would say check his first one out. And then because uh, it's so because my MVP for the movies in terms of side characters is Louise, Michael Pena's character, mm-hmm. who's like a longtime partner of crime with Scott, along with two others. And he, they still managed to have him do his, his thing without feeling too derivative or anything. He actually comes off a little smarter in this, actually, uh, which makes sense because he moved up career wise. Uh, but he's still a dope at heart and in the best way. Uh, 
his idea of being cool is like after the chase scene ends and they're resting, he just pulls up and yells to Scotty, hey, Scotty, what's up? You know, like the classic <laughs> commercial, right, Scotty? <laughs> and there's an ongoing joke with him in Truth Serum that I won't spoil, but totally fits what a big goofy is. Yeah, but, I'm definitely going to check them out at some yeah. point. Okay, but also, so I wanted to get into the ending, not just the Infinity War thing, because I was talking about the villains. So so you heard what becomes of them at the end, right? Uh, yeah, somebody, like, I, I had a had moment where I was yeah. like, do I want to know or do I want to know, don't I want to know? And I, I just directly asked somebody and they Did told me. Did you have me. the first one spoiled too? Um, No. Okay. Not, I, not the first one. Watch that too. But yeah, so long story short, while they're fighting, while Amen the Wasp fight Ghost, uh, Hank is a able to venture into the quantum realm himself and recover Janet. He almost goes nuts in there, but she, she's adapted to it over the years and even has some powers from it that I'm sure will be touched on in the future. So they come home, and she's able to heal uh, Ghost just using those powers pretty easily. And in the end, Ghost and I can't remember the name of Lawrence Fishburne's character, they're reformed, but they, like, she wants him to abandon her and just go live his life. And he's like, no, I'm giving up on you. So I guess the idea is they're going to hiding or something, but they're very much alive and not really evil anymore. So I'm guessing there could be some stuff to follow up on in a future movie, uh, Ant-Man or otherwise. But uh, so, yeah, now let's talk about since this is the first of two movies to come out between Infinity War and Avengers 4, the other being Captain Marvel early next year. And after so yeah we're getting to Infinity War spoilers here but after seeing uh, this and hearing this was set before or during Infinity War I had a guess about what one of the uh, after credits uh, stingers would be and technically I was I was right but there's another huge rinse in the works so are you aware, you're aware of what happens there to, as well too right yeah and what's funny I actually jokingly said what happens were you talking about was- the death or what happens to Scott. Because that's the unpredictable um, part for me. What happens to Scott, actually? Okay. So, long story short, um, you know, Hank and, and Janet have settled back down. And I think they also start to, to, again, tease that Hope and Scott are on the verge of hooking up or possibly have. So, at the end, they are – they because Hank's big invention of this is a proper tunnel portal to the qu- easy access to Quantum Realm and back. So, the stinger is – Scott shrinks and goes. I guess they're on like a roof or some some facility. He goes in to gather energy. They could it also help uh, goes further and also have other beneficial things. And uh, Hope, Hank, and Janet are you know his backup faculty on the outside. And they're about to pull him back in when it cuts when and it show, he's in there and he just cuts to static and he has no idea what's going on. Cut out pile of ash. This happened when Thanos did the snap. So those three are dead and Scott is now stranded in the quantum realm. Right. So it's not – I'd called that – yeah, I, I'm i sure one of the things is going to see – we're going to see which of these this cast is affected by the snap. I didn't count on uh, now Scott is in the same, same situation Janet was in. And so one of the things that people are starting to talk about, there, we're seeing more and more you know, maybe accidental hints about Avengers 4, the big one being that there's probably going to be a time jump in it. Um, that That would be interesting. Have you heard about this? Uh, not at all, no. So Robert Downey Jr. was doing some um, interviews, and they were noting he his hair was dyed a different color, and his beard had some gray added to it, which he does not have naturally. And apparently Gwyneth Paltrow accidentally said something at some point that at some point she filmed stuff with her and, and Tony having a kid because they were about to get married in Infinity War. And so people are thinking – the big theory about fixing the, the snap has been time travel, not so much somebody gets the gauntlet, but that – Maybe they can find a way to go back 
to the events of Infinity, Infinity War and alter what, what that that his, that course of history. But it could take a while in the movie universe for them to figure it out. But so this also means that if we go go forward a couple of years, because they establish Janet was stuck in the quantum realm for about thirty, I think they say. If Scott is stuck there for I don't know five ten years or whatever, he could by the time however they find him he could have some of those powers as well and maybe start to figure out how to utilize those for what they're aiming for. And granted, I'm still thinking that once they fix things, we're going to go back to that, you know, the timeline won't be set still five, ten years in the future, especially because, you know, we're seeing Spider-Man Far From Home being filmed. They're not aging Tom Holland up or anything. Yeah, uh, right, right. So I'm guessing, you know, a lot of the stuff that happens, if, if they do the time jump, a lot of the stuff we see there may never be able to happen once things, you know, if people are, we're still wondering, are they going to kill Tony in Avengers 4? So that could happen. I, I hope I hope they do it, because I feel like this I is do, the yeah. to, like, an actual comic book event yeah. that they've ever gotten. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm here for all of it. I like all of I it. I feel like... We're going to see the the snap deaths undone. Maybe some of the other ones before that. I maybe I'm maybe Vision and Gamora. I think Loki's done. But they've been saying the actors have been confirming like, yeah, no, there's going to be more deaths in Avengers Four besides those, and they're going to stick. So, uh, get long story short, get set for more heartbreak. And I'm bracing for we're still bracing for Iron Man and Cap. I hope Thor gets a happy ending though. It's been rough for him lately. Yeah, he, went, he has a he's had a hard time. He went through some some shit in Infinity War. Poor guy, and and Ragnarok too actually. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I like the fact that they didn't just give us the expected thing. They threw an additional crazy factor in the works that has even more speculation. And I mean, I'm also wondering that, you know, we're theorizing all this stuff about the time jump. Maybe it takes Captain Marvel a long time to get back to Earth. We don't know how far out she is or how easy it is for her to get there uh, there and back. Because uh-huh. we all obviously we know she's going to be part of it because of that teaser. And her granted, I don't know. If, if, if her own movie is going to have anything to do with Infinity War, it'll have to be in the singer because it's set in the 90s. Uh, but I'm excited to see that kind of stuff. And I don't know anything about Carol Danvers as a character, so I'm interested to see what she does has to offer, like, personality and ability-wise. Yeah, I kind of – I have, like, vague knowledge of her. I mean, I, I, I know power-wise she's the closest thing they had to a Superman Supergirl type. Like, yeah, she is uh-huh. tough. Um, but I don't know anything about what, what she is like as a person. Because th- that's what I liked about – I like Doctor Strange in Infinity War more than his own movie because outside the first 10 minutes of his movie, he was kind of just almost like an audience avatar. But now he's back to being cocky. And I just love the fact that he was the first guy to really go toe-to-toe with Tony's uh, ego. Yeah, yeah. I like that too. Yeah, so – Actually, yeah, I agree. I liked him better in uh, Infinity War. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And actually- that's why I hope he gets a sequel because he's he's past the training being wondrous over everything. And now he can get back to being kind of a douchebag. Yeah, no more and no more origin story. We can like have an actual. Man, he's one of the only ones who I'm like I'm glad we're done with the origin story because so many of those so there, there are a lot of superior movies where the origin's the best one. Um, mm-hmm. Granted, Marvel's not always there. Uh, Captain America got better. Uh, Thor got better eventually. Iron Man didn't get better, but he had, his sequels are pretty fun. Um, <laughs> Guardians. I actually do love Guardians two more than the first. I don't know how common that is, but I think a lot of people both like both of those. Uh, also, side note, it has been confirmed that Guardians 3 has been officially delayed production-wise. The whole James Gunn kerfuffle, they're just – they're not going to be able to work it out in time. Yeah, I wonder what's going to happen with that because um, – They're not – they've, they've set their foot down. They're not going to bring him back as director. But the, the main thing that's up in the air isn't just who's going to direct, but Gunn had finished the script because he wrote the first two movies. And people really, including myself included, really want them to use that. Apparently, even Kevin Feige, head of Marvel Studios, is begging Disney at least let us use that. 
Um, yeah, because I've, I've heard even like some of the actors have threatened. Not Dave to, Bautista not, has been pissed about back. this whole situation. Yeah. Like, they've all sided with Gunn, but Bautista is like, I'm. If you both fire him and quit and dump his script, I'm going to do everything I can to quit this movie. Um, and I don't know if he is contractually if he has any chance of that, but he has been very very vocal about this. I feel for him. Um, yeah. I, but that's that's a discussion for another day. I think that whenever we talk about Guardians two, and I give it some episode, we'll. I'll, me and whoever's on. I don't know. Maybe you can come back for it if you want. <laughs> can get to give our whole thoughts on that whole yeah, you know, I'll always come back. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure yeah, it's yeah, the last time. You, you were fun on the Marvel... Uh, the Voltron episode. Um, <laughs> I guess this last 20 minutes has been a Marvel episode, too, not just Ant-Man. But uh, I'll wrap up my thoughts on that. Yeah, Ant-Man and the Wasp, I had a ton of fun with it. It has a great car chase scene, I should mention, too. Because um, they incorporate the... the the shrink and grow thing into it as well as ghosts she has a neat gimmick which is that because she's kind of out of sync she can just kind of phase through anything um that's why they nickname her ghosts obviously and so she's going in and out of vehicles and buildings and just this weird ethereal character uh, who also happens to be very good looking when she takes her helmet off um <laughs> and again happy to see Lawrence fishburne um and kind of trippy to see him not playing perry white but in a superhero movie yeah, kind of right. like how it, 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 it's, it's kind of like how, you know, I always wonder, like, if Michael Clark Duncan was still around, they probably could have gotten him for, for another side role, too, because that old Daredevil movie wasn't MCU. Um, but, you know, I just always think about Yeah, you know what? I, that was my favorite thing about that Daredevil movie. I haven't seen it, but I've heard a lot of people say he was great. He was perfect casting. Yeah, it's, I think it's really terrible, but it's definitely, I, w- I would say it's at least worth Seeing. I I'll watch it someday. I like the Netflix one, but I know this is very different. And Fitzgerald is good in that too. But I actually know some people complained why you're making Kingpin black, and people point out literally everything else about him matches that character's physicality. Perfect. What, yeah, what he was what, great. What, bald, what bald white actor is that big and intimidating? <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Ant Man the Wasp, I recommend. But now let's get into something that you have experienced, and I have as well. And let's do a spoiler here and more just general opinions. We have recently gotten another double dose of nostalgic remasters or re-releases i guess with the Mega Man x legacy collection no this isn't happening there's no reason for me to go on what what am i fighting for and we're going to specifically talk the first one because neither of us owns that so for those who i'm mean, gonna keep tabs on that but are aware of the Mega Man x series that uh, that series had eight core entries. First three were on Super NES. Next three were on PS1. The last two were on PS2. And they also, oh, also a uh, RPG spinoff, I believe, on the PS2. But this just has, uh, similar to how they split the, the core Mega Man games up into two Legacy Collections, they split this one cleanly in half. So Legacy Collection 1 is 1 through 4, and the other one is 5 through 8. I know there's like been they, some... It's like they split it in half between the good ones and the bad yeah, ones. Yeah, yeah. Because I was going to say, I know I've heard some some lash, some lash there's been some lashback from fans. Like, why did you just put it all in one game? I'm like, well, one, if you split it apart, they're cheaper. Each one's 20 bucks. And two, it is pretty gen- universally agreed that from five onwards, the series dips in quality. So if you're completionist, you can get them, you can get them but you can also just go for the good ones. So Yeah, ben, and I actually, I like X8, X8 too, but um, mm-hmm. not enough to, like, justify... 20 bucks? Yeah. So what is your history with the X series and Mega Man? Have you played all of them previously? Yeah, I think I've played I've played every one except for X6. Okay. And so no, I, I think you can you might be able to have some good insight into this because I will admit I'm a very casual Mega Man fan. Um I've played I know I've played the first three of the classic series and 
uh, X-Wise, I played, I didn't, I never beat the original X1, but I beat the PSP remake, Maverick Hunter. Oh, that's a good one. It is a good one, yeah. And I also bought uh, X4 on PS1, also a good one. Uh, I played that completion, but I played a little bit of 2 and 3 now and have been revisiting X1 and X4 since I never beat the Super NES original. And the only classic Mega Man that I ever beat was the Game Boy version of Mega Man 2. I can't remember if that's considered easier or harder, but I, I didn't have any... that's pretty hard. Okay, yeah, well, I, I, I dedicated myself to it because that's the, that's, that's the thing that it makes Mega Man intimidating to me is that it is a series known for being pretty unforgiving. Yeah, I think I remember like actually trying out the Game Boy ones and being like, nope. Because it was so hard. <laughs> I didn't have an NES, so it was all I could do. Um, but yeah, no, it's I like I do like a lot of like the the basic concepts behind it. I've always loved the art direction for both Classic and X because mm-hmm. X is the more gritty and dark of the series. It's basically Shadow of the Hedgehog done right. Um, yeah, <laughs> but I also love the fact that all the Robot Master equivalents in X, instead of just being blank man, blank man, blank, instead of just being a bunch of Damon Wayans, um, they just. <laughs> They they went with animals, which I feel can get, get them to get a lot more creative. Yeah, well, you know what I think is funny is that like they they always um, the animals are always um, maverick hunters, and then oh, yeah. all of a sudden they'll be like they'll be like uh, storm eagle betrayed us. And I feel like if if you work in the maverick hunter base, you you look at all the animals with shifty eyes because they're always the animals. Oh man, I bet they're racist towards the animals now. It's utopia yeah, all over right. again. Um, but yeah, no, that's, and that's another thing, a little Blade Runner influence. If you're, cause all the, you know, the sentient androids are reploids, but if you go evil independent, you're a maverick. I yeah, I did think that too. It. it was a big deal. I, I thought that was a big deal that they were all animals in this version. Yeah. But I, I'm sure it was just, they just thought it would be a cool thing design wise. And like, it doesn't matter how much the plot backs that up. Cause even though, you know, X has, has, has. X, even from the first game, has emphasized plot more than Mega Man, but that's still not saying much compared to other games that are plot-driven. I'm not, I'm not saying I don't blame people for who do get caught up in the lore, um, because I, you know, there's some cool characters there, some some cool ongoing stuff with Sigma and Zero and the like, uh, though it is still a shame that X4's English dubbing is just as bad as Mega Man 8. Oh, yeah, but I, I love X4. I think that X4 might be great. my favorite one. Yeah, no, X, X, X4 was probably my favorite of the ones I've played, too. It, it looks... Like, man, I wish they had done more classic Mega Man on PS1, too, because 8 and X4 look gorgeous graphically. Yeah, yeah, and I was really obsessed with both of those because I felt like um, yeah, like I like they Mega both Man have, too. like, this whole... Oh, you know what? I did beat Mega Man 8. There you go. Yeah, yeah, and they, they have this whole, like, anime shell where I get the sort of feeling like you're playing a whole season of an anime for both of yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, they, they that, that get That was kind of, actual... like, my favorite thing about them. I love that. Like, the English voice acting is terrible, yeah, but they're still cool to watch. Yeah, and, yeah. Though, actually, another cool bonus is that... Um, from any any point from the main menu, you can choose to play the Japanese versions of all these games, and save data will still transfer over. Um, and, I did not know that. Yeah, the text is is not translated, but you can hear the original Japanese versions of the anime scenes, which are naturally a lot better. Because uh, even as a kid, I was, I was like, actually gonna, I was considering um, trying to find the Japanese Sega Saturn version just to hear the different voice actors. No, like, just just load up. I mean, you can also do YouTube, but if you yeah, if you want to be authentic, you can play it in Japanese and whenever there's a scene, it's it's that. That's um, amazing. Yeah, cuz I mean, man, even my backpack was like, "Why the hell did they give X that same girl voice that from <laughs> like it fits even less coming out of him." But now at this point though, that's like the voice of my childhood that that oh. I pitched squeaky mega man i've talked about in the past about how i love the sonic ova dub and i know it's terrible yeah actually i think i think i have a like a penchant for really bad dubs anyway uh 
I guess we'll slightly touch on that in a main topic, though I wouldn't say really bad. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so what what are your thoughts on uh, what have you messed with in the collection so far, like in terms of titles you're revisiting? So I um, I played through X One um, in its entirety. I, I tried to do a, like a hundred percent run, but I couldn't. I could, like I missed some uh, energy tanks, yeah. and I'm still going through X Four. And I actually used to. I feel like I used to be able to speed run X Four, but I can't. I'm having some trouble with it now. I feel like X Four is a little easier than the Super NES ones. I remember. Yeah, I, I, I remember so it being that way. And X One seems to be a lot a lot harder than I remember. Uh, so do two and three from what I've tried. But again, I'm not. I'm a Mega Man amateur. <laughs> um, but so yeah, what, no, what, what uh, system are you playing it on? I got the Switch version. That's what I got too. It's a good fit for the uh, portable mode. Yeah, you yeah. Know, it's the pixel like art, pixel art anyway. Um, and I will say, uh, not my like. Uh, I wish there were more border options because I find the default art kind of boring. And uh, but I also don't like the the black screen screen borders. So I just did the one that they. So have you tried? I haven't tried yet. Have you tried the that? They call it the new Maverick Challenge, I believe. No, I actually haven't tried that yet. I kind of treated that like it was just like an add-on thing, but I saw somebody playing it on YouTube. And, yeah, uh, I'm intimidated it by my it. Interest, so, but I'm, I'm sort of saving it for after I finish the games. That, that's fair. So for, I, like I said, I've been intimidated. So for those who don't know what this is, the big new addition mode-wise, because I don't think they really added anything to the games themselves in terms of content or anything other than the Japanese option. There's a new mode where the idea is you they combine different Maverick uh, Maverick Hunter bosses from different X games. So you're fighting like two of them at once. Maybe three in some. I don't remember. And you know, sometimes it's themed. It's not randomly chosen or anything. And I think they give you some 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 weapons. You're not just with the Mega Buster, and you have some of his uh, armor from later games as well. So you have like yeah, I think you get to pick armor. a loadout uh, beforehand. That oh, that might be it too. Yeah, you're not you're yeah. not you got just a one preset, and it sounds I've heard both good and bad opinions on it, but people do seem to say it is a really cool novelty, especially for longtime fans who remember these these characters individually and want to see what it's like when you have to. I mean, that's just that, that's a lot more stuff that you have to keep track of. Yeah, and I where think they on paper are, it sounds kind are. of um, sounds kind of bad, but oh, can you hear me? Yes, I can. I was just interrupting yeah. you. I was saying on uh, paper it sounds kind of kind of like tacked on, but uh, like watching people play it, it actually looks kind of cool. Yes, I'm, I'm just a lot again, more intimidating. The I will say it's more of a minor thing. One thing I am glad they added um, the rookie hunter mode. Uh, do you so know I haven't is? tried that yet. What 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 do they do? Okay, it is that? basically they have added the equivalent of an easy mode to all these games because I believe I believe it applies to all the games in Legacy Collection too. The one thing I know it does for sure is that it has the damage you take from any hazard or attack. Oh man. Um, and I want to oh. say in some games it makes spikes not an insta kill, but I don't think oh. they apply that to every game for whatever Where's reason. Where's the fun in that? I, I prefer it because I just I'm not that good at these games. I would be, I feel like I would be willing to put up with them more if you they get if they if you didn't have limit limited lives because I just don't got the patience to replay all these levels. Yeah, um, yeah, that's understandable. But I feel like half of the fun is the stress of like trying not to fall on the spikes. I'm trying to remember yeah. you, if you can toggle it from the pause menu if you want to do individual moments like that. But like I said, it's completely optional, and I still have I still have fun with doing it that way because I'm not. I, I mean, it's not as stressful for me. Like, like I said, if I was better at these games, it, it might be. But, but you know, <laughs> um, and though I know one thing people have complained about because did you play the original Legacy Collections? Uh, yeah, like I think I had the GameCube one. No, no, no the the recent ones because they re released. 
this is you see, yeah, this isn't the first compilation of these games, but this is for current gen systems. Because there was one oh, for oh. the one that was Mega Man one through six, and then seven through ten. Right, I think I think I have that one. So yes. yeah, I have the, I have those. Um, you know, also another good, certainly good faithful. You know, port, no real big. If there's slowdown, then it's from ish times that they were in the original games. So right, depending on how right. you feel about that, I'm I'm fine with that. Um, but also the other thing is uh, that those had basically had save state options. Uh, not so here, which is yeah. bumming out a lot of people. It basically reconfigures the password function into a manual save and load after each stage com- is completed thing, uh, which I know is bumming some people out. Right. And there's also that thing where, like, when you get to the end, if you, um, like, reach a point in uh, Sigma's Palace and then, like, you want to leave and come back later, it makes you start all the way from the beginning with, like, no no E-Tanks or anything. Oh, uh, that sucks. Yeah, so maybe, I don't know, maybe they were trying to retain that, that frustration. I... I, 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 I I honestly wonder if here's my theory. They want to make it a, every feature universal across all the games, and maybe when you got to the 3D stuff with seven and eight, they found it hard to pull off because maybe those games handle saving differently as well. I can play them, um, and they said let's not play favorites or whatever, uh, which would be a dumb excuse. But I, I mean, it could also just be a manner of deadlines. They probably had, maybe yeah. they had it working, but had to do a lot more bug testing and didn't want to risk breaking the game with it. Um, that 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 is a very frequent reason for why some features are removed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and also a, a nice. So I still feel like I might get the other one eventually because people. I've heard people say some good things about five, six, and eight. Seven is definitely the black sheep because that's when they went for full three D and just totally botched it. Yeah, five, X five is definitely playable. It's I've I've beaten it. It's um, uh, it's, it's not just, as it's, good as it's not as good as X four. Yeah, but it's step down. So how would you game. sum up? How would you sum up your thoughts on six, seven, and eight? Ooh, uh, I haven't played six because I, I just heard nothing but uh, terrible things about it. Mm-hmm. Eight has some problems, but I actually really like that one. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about seven? Uh, I haven't played seven since it actually originally came out, and I remember at the time of playing it, I, th- I was like, "Ah, oh, this isn't so bad." But like, I, like age might uh, change my opinion. That of it. seems to be the case, and that wasn't even a game that was that well regarded when it came out. I can't blame them for trying to finally jump to 3D, but they did not do it right from the sound of it. I, I do remember having a hard time with it, like having it be almost impossible to. Yeah, to... but not for Mega Man reasons, just for clunky camera yeah, control reasons. Yeah. And eight, eight, I'd say they seem to take the cruise to heart because that that it was still 3D graphics, but it went back to being a side scroller. And people have, I have heard people say it's still not the glory days of one through four, but this is a step up. Yeah, it definitely wasn't bad. Yeah, but I guess it didn't sell well enough for them to be like, let's make more. Though I'm wondering, you know, Mega Man 11 is finally happening this year, and they've confirmed that happened because the Legacy Collections have sold well. Um, it's even come out like people were like, why did you just not do nothing, not do anything with the series for so long? They were like, they were honest. They were like, after Inafumi left, we were just scared to touch it and possibly fuck it up. Um, yeah, I, th- I think it's great they're doing 11. Uh, I'm really excited yeah, about that. Yeah, it looks too. cool. And I love the uh, art style too, because. I was never that big on not Mega Man 9 and 10 being NES style. I was like, no, I like 7 and 8. Do, do something more detailed. So now they're like, here you go. Um, <laughs> it also sounds like it's going to have voice acting that isn't terrible. Still kind of cheesy, but but fun. Yeah, Mega Man has like a, a grown man voice now. Yeah, I mean, they can just get the people back from the old cartoon. Get back uh, Scott McNeil and the like. German Dr. Wily. <laughs> um, or, surfer, or Surfer Dude Proto Man. Bro, hey! <laughs> um... But yeah, so anything else you want to say about this compilation? 
Um, I definitely I, I recommend it. I recommend Same. at least the first half. The first like one, if, yeah. Yeah, yeah. If there's a price drop, I might check out the second one just to get X8. I still think $20, $20 is a good price for the total amount of hours in each one. Yeah, I would agree with that, too. I just, um, there's a part of me that's like, I don't want to spend uh, the, the quote-unquote full price on four games where I'm only going to play Wait, one. Yeah, when you know you only like one of them. Yeah, yeah. Hey, maybe you'd be one of the rare people who likes, who likes six. I Total slight tangent, and actually, I guess this is in a case of like, um, I don't know what made me be in this mood, but lately I dug out my 360, and I know I mentioned a couple months ago on the show, I bought Sonic 06 for like four bucks. I'm playing Wait. Sonic 06. So how how is it? Like, is it, like, I know it's terrible, but like, yeah, is so, it? Okay, so here's the thing, and I might lose my credit for this, I don't think it's one of the worst games I've ever played, and I honestly don't even think it's the worst main Sonic game. Like, it's... I think Shadow is still the worst. Even when that came out, I was like, this does not work on any level for me. But um, 06 is crazy flawed. Yeah, I still am not going to call it a good game. It still has, it feels like design-wise and bug-wise like a like a mid-PS2 era platformer. Like, it is not up to snuff even for when it came out. But it's also not without good moments when you're doing the more conventional speed stuff. And I think it also helps that I've seen enough reviews and Let's Plays that I know how to handle a lot of the more infamous parts. Like, that first silver boss fight if you know his attack pattern it is a breeze it's just that until you learn that it's the worst thing in the world and obviously the graphics were never that good to begin with and the story is still a joke but hey it was four bucks it's hard for me to complain yeah i've, I've been tempted to buy that but like every time i go to I'm you know what like, maybe this will help you, help you it actually is working for me in the same way Ben is like a so bad it's good at points but at least with like the writing i did a tweet the other day when you play as rouge and he falls to her death it is the worst scream. It is just her voice <laughs> going, ah. <laughs> and I just, I was playing it and I accidentally killed her and I just pulled up my phone camera and deliberately threw her into like a bottomless lake again just to hear, ah. Let's I'll, I'll let's show how audience. excited she is to be there. It, it reminded me of, uh, I know I, I told people, uh, Rosalina's Star KO in Smash 4. It's the same thing. Just, ah. <laughs> like, oh, I'm falling to my death. That's a shame. Um, or or how Shadow, when he falls to his death, it's an over-the-top, no! <laughs> no! It's, yeah, I, I was not the biggest fan of the four kids' voices, and uh, this. Yeah, I didn't like, I didn't like those voices either. Oh, my God, the best one, though. I haven't gotten to it yet. When Sonic thinks Elise is, Princess Elise is dead, and he's just dramatic, Elise! That's a YouTube <laughs> clip as well. That is hilarious. Elise! Like, they tried so hard to make you take this seriously, and I'm like, bad idea, guys. And now it's a decade later with Sonic Forces, and they never learn. <laughs> um, but that's that's another talk. So, yeah, um, we recommend Mega Man X Legacy Collection 1, and approach the second one at your own caution. Same with Sonic 06, but I think that's a given at this point. So but I think for for the price you got a good deal. For four bucks, it's hard to be even if you hate it. I mean, four bucks. Yeah, there's, you, there's there, some there's entertainment value to be had. Getting lunch at Chipotle costs more than that. Come on. Um, right. So let's pause and get to our main t- main. I was gonna say main course, but I guess there is a lot to discuss there. So a lot of content. At the end of their fierce battle, the stricken goddesses had split the continent, forming a new land. Since then. People have come to call this new continent Lodos, the Accursed Island. 
So when I got talked to, to you on Twitter and what, what I usually do is, you know, on Twitter, or Facebook, we always have our guests that we have a guest. They pick the topic or at least they, they do a list. And then me and Chris, if he's here, kind of consult on like what's one that we think we would probably be a good fit for, even if it's stuff we haven't seen. And you throw out some good ones, um, even like some old. A lot of it is stuff that I just, I, I, you are definitely a man who is into vintage anime and, JR, and like JRPGs and fighting games and the like. Uh-huh, um, yeah. <laughs> and that is, that's a good thing to be into, but I'm kind of inexperienced in both those, to be honest. Uh, but there was one you threw out that was not, for the version we're going to talk about primarily, is not a huge time sink. And it's one that's been on my bucket list because it's, it's definitely sort of vintage at this point, but it's also it's generally regarded as, like, I have this is a show I've heard held in high standard, high, like, high regard by anime fans for a very long time. Uh, kind of like people say, like, if you want a very, you know, a, a fantasy anime that sticks to, you know, traditions established by, like, D&D and the like, then you really want to go to this. So we're talking about the early 90s, well, the OAV, the direct-to-video series Record of Lotus War, uh, which I believe, if Wikipedia is telling the truth, came out from 1991 to 1992 to tell a 13-episode story. Um, this is a kind of interesting way of how this series came about. Uh, like... One thing I, I think is worth mentioning about how anime conceptions work in Japan, com- especially compared to over here, like I'd say 90% of anime movies and TV shows are based on some existing material, often manga, but also just just books, uh, novels, uh, like novellas, franchises. I, I don't know where that tradition came from, and they don't always do it. There's still plenty of, of well-regarded shows and movies that are fully original, but it is not that common. So where this came from is a series of fantasy novels from Japan by an author named, I hope I say this right, Ryo Mizuno. And the way that, do you know how he originally came up with this story? Yeah, I actually found out about that recently. This is, it makes sense. It made sense when when you look at the convention of this series. So in the late 80s, he was part of a group that was playing Dungeons and Dragons and retelling their stories through like a sort of. Uh, otaku magazine i believe or some japanese magazine and he in this case was the dungeon master which and i went to i still have yet to play D, and i probably will someday but that is i mean even i know that is kind of the one in charge of establishing the mythology and continuity of this laying down rules and building on the the lore that you you establish for this particular story so if you're if you look at this main cast of characters they all fit the a lot of the classic character classes: uh, warrior, druid, mage, cleric, uh, barbarian, uh, even berserker later on. Uh, and but when by the time they were finishing this, it I think he got enough positive feedback and he was happy enough with it to kind of take that and make a proper novel series out of it. And I'm granted I'm sure he had to change some stuff because it has never it, the series has never had the official D and D label or anything officially. It has nothing to do with it. But these books were successful enough to get an adaptation by – this actually surprised me um, – by the studio Madhouse. It, actually kind of relevant to this podcast because we just talked about Death Parade, which they did last episode. They are very highly regarded. They did a lot of class, other classic uh, anime movies like uh, Wicked City, Ninja Scroll, uh, more recently stuff like Redline, and a lot of well-regarded shows. The first one that comes to mind for me is Death Note. Um and I will say, uh, not a complaint of the visuals, this show did not – I was surprised it did not look like a conventional Madhouse show. Uh, it kind of feels like any studio could have done it in terms of its 
it's like vibe. It's very rooted in the classic uh, conventions of anime design and animation from that late 80s, early 90s period. And I will say first off that, I, okay, granted, I did not watch the entire series due to time constraints. I got eight episodes in out of 13. Uh, I feel like it was a good point to cut it off for me there because it kind of wraps up the conflict that's built up to that point. And I know the remaining ones, and you'll touch on that, they made up some new ones. Um, but I did notice the first episode looks visually spectacular. Um, yeah, that, that first episode is amazing. Yeah, but it, 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 story-wise, it's interesting because it's a little confusing. It is not an introduction. It's an in-media rest kind of side story. Uh, the party I, I is already that might fo- be my, my biggest complaint about the series, if I had one, is how – like I, I love the way that it starts, but at the same time, it, it is kind of confusing because they just sort of drop you into the action. Yes, they're not really – they can kind of establish some of the characters' personalities and abilities, but they're not telling you what is their goal, what are they doing here, what is what's the driving force behind all of this. And I I did a little research on this, and I think maybe it was the reason they went this kind of in media rest filler adventure was they wanted to not get too bogged down by setup and kind of hook newer newcomers in with a cool you know set of characters and visuals like because man all the action stuff in that episode some of the best like animation from that period i've seen i gotta say the these these gargoyles these this dragon all the spells and moves it's it's gorgeous yeah it's like i I had been playing a lot of rpgs at the time and it's Mm -hmm. like finally seeing on screen what you felt like you were doing when you when you were playing those games i honestly if you if if what we talk about as the show as a whole doesn't interest you, I would still check out that first episode because other than it's very end that kind of does start to establish some of the threats and such, it's pretty standalone and you know lightweight. And I was a little frustrated and actually a little apprehensive once we got to episode two because you can tell they probably spent a lot of their budget on it and mm-hmm. on that first one. I'm not gonna say it looks terrible because one thing worth noting is these are very intricate character designs. Uh, like every one of the important characters has a lot of individual assets to their designs and their their outfits and armor and weapons and the like. And, yeah, and one one thing I had been talking about was the king. Uh, I feel like the king is so detailed every time that beard. Like, he's on screen all the animated his mouth, like only his mouth can move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like he's got so much hair and like. It's an older guy. They can kind of excuse that until he finally fights later on. Um, But yeah, but I will say like every time we see these characters, they, I didn't really see parts where it was these guys talking to each other and they just looked off or, or really choppily animated. It was, it's on model and it's animated decently. It's just for the most part, it goes to kind of a more standard uh, animation frame rate. And that kind of like, it's mainly the frame rate that goes down. And for action scenes, they do a lot of still images or, rapid cuts um so that was frustrating a little bit but then as it goes on it starts to pick up again in the budget area i'm guessing they were starting to see some levels of success because they were probably releasing like one every couple of months and they were like okay we have an excuse to sink some more time and money into these later parts yeah um, i also noticed though like on some of the later fights they they definitely recycle a lot of animation uh maybe like we're talking the, about the, like the later ep- episodes i didn't get to but i'll leave you to we'll, we'll, we'll we will get to that okay. so this is very much in terms of its rules and the types of people in it, this is the most. This is the very a very traditional conventional fantasy, you know, feudal uh, knights in armor in the world. So it's like it's it's humans, uh, light and dark elves, 
uh, dwarves, certain people who specialize in sorcery, and you know the 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 beast men and the orcs and the goblins that don't get along with anybody but themselves. Oh, and dragons can't forget dragons. But that's a <laughs> that's a gradual build outside the first episode. Um, but this is the, the, I'm guessing there. This goes it's brought, this goes even more into in the novels. This is still like they spend a lot of time not just on the main characters, but kind of the big picture of this world, telling you about the different regions, their histories with each other, their the people in charge of them, some of the politics and background behind that. Um, so it's it th- there's a decent amount of world building to it. Anything you want to throw in? I think um, what's interesting is that they sort of like establish this whole world, but you only really spend a lot of time on on Lodos, and it, it, I think that adds a lot to it. Like you, you feel like there's so much more happening around this island, and you're only getting this like little piece. Yes, of the, of the and island. granted, we got some stuff about other areas later on that you informed me was not good, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So our we our our I would say yeah our number one main character. Uh, is this guy, kid named Parn? And I will say one thing that worried me is that everything about his personality and setup is very, very stock anime medieval hero. Yeah, I was gonna ask you how you felt about Parn. Man, like- I was worried early on, and because it's it's literally everything about what he's doing in that second episode, what he's about, or what is and his goals and his motivation. It's like, oh, his dad was a traitor, and he's like, don't you dare talk about my father. Oh, I remember when you left, and I, you gave me your sword when I was a kid. Oh, no, my village is being attacked. And I, I was like, oh, this, this man, after I was on such a high after episode one. I, I don't know about this. <laughs> um, and, you know, he does also the thing where he's pretty headstrong. Like, there's a lot of cases where he's he'll be very rash and quick to action and rarely works out for him uh granted he probably shouldn't be yelling when he's charging from far off be a little sneaky buddy i know you're a warrior and all but hey what's what's funny is i actually really liked him when i originally saw this like when i was a lot a lot younger yeah he's a a dude the sword he's awesome but now like watching it recently i was like man i really don't he's kind of a punk yeah he's kind of a he's kind of an ass like yeah good good morals but not smart or like there, or anything. there's that scene where they kick him out the village they they really had a legitimate reason to do that like the the guy wasn't wrong well, <laughs> no they they kind of compromised because the you could tell the elder was fond of him he's like look we'll send you out as like an emissary uh and for whatever reason parn says okay i'll burn my house down yeah that was I'm hilarious like, <laughs> <laughs> like you could come probably come back to that but okay emissary um, to the max yeah, also, side note, he saves a peasant girl, the mayor's daughter, in episode two, who was named Liara, and I was having Mass Effect flashbacks. <laughs> I'm like, no, if, Liara probably wouldn't need much help. Oh, wait, this is a different, different one. I also want to touch on the, we're introduced to most of the, epi- the the supporting characters in the first episode, and it, there's, most of them are, you know, locals or people who are familiar with each other, so let's go through Another, the other character I wasn't super big on, who is is it Ito? Ito? Ito, yeah. Who is probably Parn's oldest friend and a cleric. He's very devout to whatever. I don't think it's Christianity, but it's certainly some you know widespread religion. And you know he's just it, all I can really boil down to is he's the kind of caring, mellow guy, and that's kind of it. <laughs> um, yeah, he's kind of he kind of doesn't really do anything I other think. than you know 
be try and comfort them sometimes. Or granted, he can you know do legit heal spells, so he he has a reason battle wise to be around, but just not that much, that interesting as a character. Um, and I and actually let's touch on the characters first, then I'll touch on on the voices. Uh, but I think the rest of the main party I have better things to say about than we've, we've gotten Parn Ido out of the way. And yeah, even though Parn's the main character, it's not like he's unlikable or anything. He's just kind of milk toast. But so okay, uh, let's get to the cool one, Slain. Um, yeah, Sl- Slain is awesome. I, the main, I like Slain a lot. He's the one who's the straight up mage, not healing magic, but elemental stuff. And one of the old, he's probably he and uh, the another one we'll talk about who is hang on, uh, Gim are actually no I guess Dita is is older too but you know in terms of their look and mannerisms he mm-hmm. he is someone who gives the like he has a reserved he is a seasoned level headed guy um, almost like a mentor without the actual mentoring but he's someone to keep Parm and the like in check and keep a cool head in crazy situations. Yeah, so, I, lo- yeah. I love when he does his spells. Anytime he does a spell, it's those like, quiet incantations. He's not. He does yeah. not. Even as dramatic as the spells can look, he rarely gets over dramatic himself. It's a very cool trait. Yeah. And we established that he is old friends with uh, Gim, who's a, a dwarf, not from the area, but he's visited. And Gim is what you certainly what you would expect from from a, a dwarf. He's rowdy. He loves to drink. He's uh, he's eager to battle. But as the series establishes later on, he does have a heart and some regrets even. And I, I found him pretty likable as well. Uh-huh. Maybe nothing you hadn't seen in terms of dwarf portrayals, but a good job for what there were. And the other two, so uh, I guess we'll save the biggest one for last. But uh, my favorite name of them, Woodchuck. Woodchuck. <laughs> who is the last to join the group. I think it's in episode three or so. Um, and maybe that has to do with the fact that he definitely has probably the poorest moral compass of them because he mm-hmm. happens to be the thief of the group. Yeah. Um, and they, actually, I, I like Woodchuck a lot, and I feel like they don't spend a lot of time with him. Like, mm-hmm. uh, as far well, as he's also uh, removed from the picture two-thirds through. Yeah, that's another thing. Uh, uh, that always yeah, kind of bothered me, too, though, because, like, you know, the, the thing that happens happens, and they're like, Woodchuck... And, yeah, apparently um, he, his fate is never explained after that. We're probably supposed yeah. to assume he died, but we don't get a uh, confirmation. But there's a part where Parn is like my good friend Woodchuck, and I'm like, yeah, he's a good friend, I guess. But he you know he is pretty douchey like, to them at some point. Like when he throws <laughs> like, a dagger you know at Parn, does like, hey, making sure you're ready, and then he's still trash talking him. Like, man, you're so caring. You think you're gonna be able to kill on the battlefield? I don't know. Um, but he does have a lot of funny moments, and I just love the fact that it, you know he's someone who's been. Who's kind of had it rough? You get the sense because dude being a thief, and they they meet him in a jail cell. So there you yeah, go. Like, yeah. And he's he doesn't seem to think highly of anyone really, and uh, kind of being very cynical and pessimistic about a lot of things they're going through. Also, kind of cowardly and greedy due to being a thief. Uh, but he has like there are some moments of good genuine humor in this. I think one uh-huh. of the standout episodes overall is when they're having like the ballroom party. Um, there's a scene where he's doing you know a uh, you know a gambling dice game with a bunch of the off duty guards. And one of them, I wrote it. I wrote some of these lines down. One of the guards is like, "Okay, I gotta get back to my shift." And his response is, "Oh, you're a hardworking jailer. I don't think I'll miss you." <laughs> and then immediately after that, they, he accidentally reveals that he's rigged to the game. And <laughs> next scene, he's just walking out with like lumps, like, "Yeah, they did a number on me." Yeah, that's right. He was like cheating or something. Yeah, yeah. And um, another side moment of humor, which is when you know, episode two, uh, they're you know they're in the middle of a. You know, a bunch of enemy beastmen and uh, a local, the local, you know, soldiers show up, and Prime's like, "Oh, hey, we're saved." And Deedlet, who we'll get to, is like, "Oh, you're pretty naive." And then smash cut to them all to prison cell, and Prime's like, "Wait, what did we do?" <laughs> um, 
And yeah, so let's talk about the last character. Um, another one that stands out is uh, Deedlet, the the white elf. Um, yeah, I think she's everybody's favorite. I, I think it could be. I, man, I still think I still think Slane might be my favorite actually, but Deedlet's up there. Um, and I think it helps. She's probably the most prominent character other than Parn, but she's actually pretty cool. She actually starts out. She's the one who nobody knows at first, and I'm guessing they established kind of what her deal was, why she was there later on, but. Uh, she alerts them to, you know, here's when he goes to, when Parn and Ido goes to attack the, the goblin, she's the one who tells them, oh, what, the cave's empty? Oh, yeah, they're attacking your village. You should probably hurry back. Yeah, um, right, right. But I also love the fact that, you know, in the second episode when she kind of is tagging along and finally probably meets the group and they're attacked and Parn does the normal thing, get back, you're, you, I want to protect you. And she immediately, like, does some way more badass stuff than he ever could. And she's like, no, right. you should be worried about yourself. Um, yeah, that's the part where uh, there's like a dark elf. No, in, in episode two. Oh, two, two. Never mind. Dark elves are like the second half of the series. I was barely introduced to them by by the time I ended. Uh, no, it was okay. just some standard grunts. But she's so she's already a better warrior than him. And um, <laughs> and granted, and so she's someone who is both. She kind of has a good balance of the playful and fun loving snide side, but also someone who is smart and level headed when she needs to be. I think it's a it's a pretty good balance. And even though she's certainly meant to be like, you know, eventually the love interest for Parn, uh, I, I guess because it's an ordinary maid, there isn't really any fan servicey stuff with her, which I feel like kind of would have been out of out of out of place in this kind of series. Uh, so she's a pretty well handled handled character, I would say. I think I've her efforts and people argue otherwise. Maybe there's stuff otherwise that would later on that would make me take that back. But I like her from what I saw. Um, yeah, actually, I like Deedlet a lot. She had another one of my favorite lines in that ball episode where, you know, uh, around the same time as Woodchuck's game, they do the thing of, you know, she and Parn getting formal formal garb for a dance. And um, she, she, one, she's clearly flirting with Parn. And he is, because you know, this is when King Cashew, not spelled like the, na- the nut, but pronounced like it, uh, <laughs> who is like an idol of his, is visiting. And he is just gaga over this guy and... Dila is totally, it's clearly like, do you think I look good? Oh, that's, that's that part where she's like, look at my dress. How do I look in this dress? And he's just like, uh-huh. God. He's like, <laughs> I, I'm not going to say, I would have, lo- I know they wouldn't have done it. I would have loved if in the finale, he would have just gone like, Dila, it's nice new. I'm flattered, but I like dicks. Like, I wasn't just staring <laughs> at Cashew out of admiration. I wanted him inside me. Um, you're better off with, with, with like, uh, Slain or something. That's uh, definitely how he acts for like a better part of the show. <laughs> he is kind of oblivious, um, like. But again, not the sharpest tool in the drawer to begin with. Yeah. Uh, but okay, so essentially, let's get into because um, I know you want to touch on this nostalgia-wise. So you have always mainly watched the dub of this show. Yeah, I actually originally saw this on the uh, Sci-Fi Channel. Right. Um, so of course they aired it, aired it dubbed, the, and the I think Saturday I don't think we got this in the recording. Block. Talk about how they edited this. Yeah. So what they did, uh, the Saturday anime block. They would show movies, yep. and uh, they would they would show like Vampire Hunter D and uh, yep. and a bunch of other stuff. One of my favorites, Robot Carnival. They showed. Yeah, uh, yeah. I might have to give that its own episode someday. Blue. I really recommend the Blu-ray of that, by the way. So the idea is you you wake up to see what the next movie is, and yep. what they did is they took the first three episodes of this and just mushed in, into a, a a movie. Uh, that's with like quotation marks, <laughs> and uh, like it ends on a, a giant cliffhanger. And like for the longest time, I was just like, well, you know, I like this movie, but what what is that ending? <laughs> like, what is that? That's not complete. Yeah. So later on, I found out that it was just like the first three episodes of a series. Yeah. Which made a lot more sense, but I don't know why they would. Uh, 
like maybe it cost like more to get the rights to all all the episodes and there was other anime they wanted to air instead i don't know early anime distribution was a weird time yeah but so so this was uh you you had told me up front like uh man i have a finance for this dub but i don't know if it holds up by today's standards and i wasn't sure to expect either because um there were there are two voice actors in this who i recognized but this is also like you know a late 90s dub from i believe manga or central park media and I feel like both they they and ADV in particular they took a while to really get the hang of doing good dubs. The majority of their of those, both those companies stuff from the late '90s is pretty wretched. But I will say, even though I ended up switching to Japanese, this dub was all right. It was yeah, taking, I, I kind of have a lot of bias for the dub too, just because yeah. that's how I saw it. And that's fine. That's me. If you go back to our Sonic cartoon episode, the Sonic OVA dub, I'll admit that's terrible and the worst Sonic and Tails voices ever. But I can't, you know, I'm attached to it. Uh, but no, there is some. It's, I mean, it's give or take from character to character. Like, um, I'll just go through it really quick. Uh, Parn, I don't think his acting was bad, but he has a little. He sounds a little more whiny and not as cool compared to the Japanese voice. Uh, Woodchuck kind of cracked me up. He sounds like a Brooklyn gangster with the Brooklyn accent removed. It's it's interesting. <laughs> Sorry, boys. Guess today's just my lucky day. Okay, once more, round and round they go. And after I win all your money, it'll be time to... Huh? Quitting while you're ahead, pal? (laughs) No, friend. I should just get packed to the dungeon. Yeah, like your money's gonna be a lot safer down there. Never trusted jailers. I don't know how I could do an impression of that because I would naturally do the accent. Hey, fellas, let me show you this gambling game. But yeah, that's exactly how he talks. It does kind of fit him. It's just weird. Um, but I will – and also uh, – uh, man, I keep forgetting. I need to write down uh, – Gim, Gim's voice is pretty good. It's kind of what you would – like, again, what you would expect, the gruff, over-the-top thing, but it kind of suits him. Uh, the one – that I really legit did not like, and it kind of bummed me out because he was one that recognized Ito was odd. And uh, granted, he was kind of a bland character to begin with, but it is all of his dialogue does sound to like, oh, Parn, oh, hey, oh, no, oh. It's like yeah, Mark Wahlberg in the happening. Oh, Parn, Deedlet. He's completely lost any fear of death. Even, even like, uh, in addition to the voice acting, I think he's also, like, the weakest character overall. Yeah, yeah. But what, so what put me out is he was one of... Because I looked up... A lot of these actors didn't do much else anime. Um, Parn did some other stuff, but a lot of them did, like, one or two other titles, and I, that might have been all they did for dubbing. But, so the two exceptions... So Ito is voiced by a guy named Ted Lewis, who, like I said, this was dubbed by Central Park Media, so they used New York talent, and a lot of those New York actors were also used by four kids, the Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh! type people. Uh, Ted Lewis voiced a lot of characters in Pokemon. He was Tracy. Uh, he was a lot of side characters. Um, oh, he was Giovanni. I really liked him as Giovanni. Oh, wow. Um, but in the, cra- the really fun one for me, and actually I'll do a little plug for Chris at this point, in the Kirby anime, he was both DDD and Escargoon. Uh, where he just got to let loose. Like, let's just give this snail a Paul Lind voice just because. Oh, sire. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you're a real couch potato. You're as big as a couch and you're full of potatoes. Yeah! Like, yeah, they're the best part of that show. And actually, real quick plug. So there is, you know, we've talked about reanimated collabs in the past. There is one, a Kirby one, that's pretty far in progress, and Chris finished his shot. If you go to his Twitter, uh, Seaway the Sequel, you can see his shot of DDD watching himself laughing. Hey, hey, look, I made you up a rope. Oh, it's over. Yeah, I, I, I saw that. I saw that online. It's it's really impressive. Oh, it was great. Chris is, Chris yeah. is working really great. And, and Scargoon just walks away flipping the king off. 
Um, <laughs> I would have loved to get a shot where both of them were talking, and I'm just and I just want to dub in like, "Sire, fuck you." I could just do his Cardoon impressions all day. Did you ever see the episode where they spoofed Psycho? I didn't. I haven't seen a lot of that show, actually. It's, it's, I mean, it's very kid-oriented, but they're the best part of it. And they, they recreate the scene where, like, Oscar Dune is watching... They had a Halloween episode, and so Kirby... So, <laughs> King Diddy opens the thing and bonked with his mouth over and over, and they recreate the, 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 the you know, the violin sting and the shots, and then it's like, I done mistook you for a ghost! How many ghosts take showers? <laughs> but, um, but yeah, here in this, he's very flat. But, no, wait, I want to do my two praises. Again, um... Slain, another guy who doesn't really have any other big dub credits, he is awesome in the dub. Like, I, straight up better than the Japanese one. Much more distinct, much more of this wiser, older, just very mellow and cool voice. I liked it a lot. Pan, we've been thinking that you should go back to King Fan ahead of us. Slain, I can't abandon people who need my help. Just let us handle things here. And I would often yeah, switch I back to I especially love the scene. I was just talking about this earlier. I love the scene where he's like, point your sword to the heavens. Oh, it's a barn, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, authoritatively uh, needs to be, but like I said, a very mellow guy. I think the guy they yeah. got from understood. He, he was perfect for all, this, all the spells and stuff. Yeah, or even, I mean, even just conversation. Like, this is the most dignified of, of them all, really. Yeah, um, I feel like... And a great maybe, maybe next to uh, Dila, he's like action. yeah. No, let's talk like about really Dila. Acting. She is she is definitely the most recognizable. Uh, another one of the best performances, and also the most recognizable. Uh, you told me about this. It's Lisa Ortiz. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, I'm I'm guessing by the kind of stuff you like, you're familiar with Slayers. Oh yeah, yeah. For, for anybody who's watched Slayers, it's a fun. Another also medieval fantasy, but definitely more with a comedic bend to it. And she uh, ended up with that voice, the main character Lena Inverse, uh, wonderfully. And again, she was also did a lot of four kids work, a lot of side characters in Pokemon. If you're a Sonic fan, um, well, I know we just trashed the four kids cast, but she was Amy Rose, and she was one of the better ones. I thought like that. I remember when it was announced that they got Sonic X, everybody was like, "Of course they're going to have her play Amy." Um, yeah, I think she's still Amy too. No, she's not. They they ditched no, the four not. kids. Yeah, the only one they kept was Mike Pollock as Eggman. Oh wow. Oh. Uh, but she's still she's still doing voice acting and 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 the like. And I remember I'm gonna pull it up real quick. She has a very funny story over how she got into it. Did you ever hear about that? I think I heard bits and pieces of it. Okay, hang on. Um, okay, Ortiz admitted that her start in voiceovers came from her brother stealing her car, which led to a series of adventures that led to her to meeting a friend to retrieve the car, who then invited her to a casting call for Wrecker of Lotus War. So this was this was her first role. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, she did not start out with the intention, uh, but she was naturally good at it. The world is full of people who'll get you from behind. Let me handle them. You keep your eyes on what's ahead. For a first role, it's 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 nicely done. Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't think it. Maybe maybe she'd done some other acting or stuff. I don't know about that, but because that that wouldn't shock me. But yeah, good fit for Deedlift in terms of both the funny and the more serious part, because she kind of has this nat or her role in a lot of her roles is kind of naturally high pitched, but can be serious voice. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I'm planning to finally try going to Anime USA this October. Uh, it has some guests that really interest me, especially particularly Jim Cummings, who we have brought mm-hmm. up in the show uh, and rarely comes to the East Coast. But uh, she's going to be there as well. Oh, so I wonder if they're going to make her recite the Dragon Slave. Like- I don't know if she's going to do a panel or a booth or a what, because it can vary from guest to guest. Um, I'm sure if she has a booth, someone will have her do that. <laughs> Um, I feel I like might, that's all she ever has to like. They, people are just like, do the line. I mean, I'd like to ask her questions about about this or working. If she has any just fun back behind the scenes stories for, from anything she worked on, uh, I like to try and not ask people questions I think they've heard a million times before. 
Mm-hmm. But uh, so yeah, I would say the the and the, it's also a mixed bag for the side characters, but. I don't know. There was very little that stuck out to me as truly bad other than Eto. So I think it's actually a pretty decent dub considering when it was made. And I would not, I, I'd say give it a shot and try watching it like that first. And if you don't like it, you switch to Japanese and no, no, no big deal. But I guess now we can start getting to some of the overall story. So yeah, like I said, I was a little worried through like episode two and three because like I said, all the part stuff, I, I feel like a lot of the stuff in those early episodes, they, it's, I, and I can't, I'm 100% playing the show, but considering how old it is now, a lot of it feels very, like, stock at this point. I feel like this was probably a very influential series for other storytellers. Yeah, and I feel like there's there's definitely, um, the, the structure of the way they tell the story is definitely strange, uh, you know, now, now that I've, like, rewatched it, mm-hmm. where they, it seems they unnecessarily make it convoluted, where... They there was one point in the midway where I was wondering if I missed something. Because an episode ends when they're starting to realize the threat of Carla, who is, for all intents and purposes, the true main villain of the first eight <laughs> episodes. And so the king goes, all right, go off to this town and tell this other king. And so I was thinking, okay, this is going to be the middle portion, and them journeying. The next episode begins, on their way back from this thing, they report to the king what they had seen. And he just skipped all that shit. And then later yeah, in the episode... They do an extended flashback of when they met him, that guy, and encountered Carla. And I was like, that was, I guess, for dramatic effect, but it was certainly a little confusing. Yeah, they do a lot of jumping around like that. I'd never noticed it before. I think before maybe I just, like, wasn't paying attention or something. And it was like, well, it's swords, been a while. Yeah, yeah, but now I'm like, man, this is kind of hard to follow. Uh for the opening part, I mean, no, I think for the first couple of episodes, it was pretty easy for me to follow. But like I said, they were just throwing a lot of, I feel like a lot of the early setup stuff is stuff that I've seen done a million times. Oh, and yeah, honestly, definitely. I was really worried that I was going to be like, feel this way about the show as a whole and be telling you like, I don't know about this. But I say around episode four of the show, the show picks back up and I was feeling it. So mm-hmm. that was a relief. And there's still good moments. Like I talked about some of the exchanges with the characters, even though the animation is more limited, it still looks good and has some in, you know, more you know, tense moments. The show as a whole, I feel like even when it, it, it's in sequel moments, it's still at worst okay to decent. So and that's more than you can say. For, I can say for a lot of other shows. Let me just go through my notes a little bit here. So one interesting. Yeah. No, so, so I do want to talk about if we talk about some of the side characters. So the way this the conflict starts is, you know, we have a bunch of neighboring kingdoms, not so much unified as much as they don't bother each other. Uh, but the first – I'm pulling up the character names again. Pardon me. Okay, so one uh, Emperor Beld, who's the king of this one region, finally gets starts getting a bit greedy, um, and he pulls a fire nation. Like, let's just go on the offensive out of nowhere and start trying to take over everything. Also, I did do a bunch of mental notes when we were first introduced to Beld and his castle. One, his castle is very Castlevania-looking. You see for the exterior. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, And he even does the thing of emptying his wine glass and throwing it on the floor. Right, right. A la, uh, <laughs> Symphony of the Night. And beyond that, the other main villain, uh, Carla. So her first introduction is speaking to the, I think it's in the first or second episode where she's speaking to that other king and she has a line dealing with you know when we find out about how about her nature she says what is a body but merely a dress to wear and discard over time and I was mm-hmm. mentally expecting her to go but enough talk how about you <laughs> that is the one thing our friend Felipe knows about Castlevania is the intro dialogue of the night uh, also <laughs> shout out to Simon Belmont congrats for being in Smash Brothers you and Richter what is a man 
a miserable pile of secrets, which is what <laughs> I would call Carla, actually. Um, and we'll get to her more, t- too, because I, I – actually, I can talk about a little more, too. She she was interesting. Yeah, how do you, how do you feel about her as a villain? I kind of – So early on, I was not sure what I was going to think. I, would, I will say the way she presents herself is interesting. She has a very – like, I feel like her design and management stick out. Like, she has this wispy, almost vampiric look to her. Uh-huh. Which I guess does like another worldly feel, which makes sense when you learn what her deal is. And she has a pretty cool voice in both languages. The Japanese one has kind of kind of higher, slightly higher kind of sing-songy approach, and the English one is more straightforward but still fits. Let us wait. That is why I have come, after all. But she, she seems like someone who's perpetually – I mean, they definitely established, like, this is the real OP, like, no one can even touch her. Like, when Slane goes against her, he makes it very clear, like, I have never encountered anything like this. And they can't even so much as graze her. She can do forge fields and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but she does not seem it, – it's, it's a little weird because you can certainly – you certainly get this sense because I've seen sources before where, like, she's helping Beld in terms of doing stuff behind the scenes. And he's saying when she's not around, like, yeah, we'll use her until harvest necessary. But I'm like, oh, I know how this goes. I think you're being played, buddy, which is exactly <laughs> yeah. what happens. But – oh, also one last thing. Beld looks a lot like Ganondorf. Yeah, he, his design is – I don't know if I like it or not. I actually do like it. It's that, that darker tan and the kind of red mane almost. Yeah, um, yeah, he has like this liney beard thing. Uh, I, I He's honestly, definitely a cool character. I like I'm him as totally a willing to bet that Nintendo took some influence from this show, considering his popularity. Uh, not just for Zelda, but for Fire Emblem. Um, a lot of the because there are a lot of Fire Emblem games that start out as you know, kind of brewing Kingdom Wars, and some of the armor designs reminded me of that too. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, Especially so, like uh, Ashram. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or uh, some of the. Like even if you go back to the GBA Fire Emblem, like I feel like some of the villain characters that have armor very similar to Beld. Mm-hmm. So yeah, again, like I said, this it makes kind of makes sense that I felt like I'd seen all these conventions and more recent stuff because I think this show had a genuine impact. So you can't really hold that much against it. And it, like I said, it, even without a side, it, it genuinely picked up. But yeah, I guess we can talk about. So like I said, I was a little confused. So like, what is okay? So what is Carla's goal? And I was like, is she trying to take over herself? They're they're, they're touching on this stuff with dragons. Is she? Because that's a Fire Emblem thing too. A vil- common. It's very common that shadowy villains want to resurrect dragons and and yeah, right. Waste. <laughs> but no, she. So first they establish that she actually has a connection to uh, Gim. When he first encounters her the first time, because you realize his big intention, his long-term goal, he... At first I was thinking, is this his daughter? Because he keeps saying, Lelia, Lelia. Yeah, Lelia. Uh, no, it's not. It's actually, it's just, I like the fact that it's not that, but it's still something important. Basically, a while ago, he was gravely injured and nursed back to health by a priestess and her daughter, who he connected with and held, held a big bond to. So this isn't some romantic or fatherly thing. This is just feeling like it's the right thing to do for when he when someone he knew helped because here's the deal with with carla she is 500 years old and she has stayed alive by moving her spirit and possessing person to person she's yeah. you know I, found a way I to think cheat that's death. really cool too yeah it's not the first time i've seen like that again but it's it's an interesting take on because i mean you know we, we will get to it she possesses a guy at one point too Mm-hmm. Um, I love the fact that during the final showdown, Gim offers, please let her go and use my body. And she just goes, you think too highly of yourself. And slams yeah, she's like, like, nah, I don't think you so. You stumpy <laughs> old drunk dude? No way. Um, I'm going to be this, you know, 
this cool looking young lady. I mean, why would I want to be a dopey, dumpy, doughy orf? Right. I would love if she actually yeah, said that. But no, once once they get to the finale, because a little ways in, when the war starts, uh, Beld and I believe Ashram, or no, Fawn, the, uh, the lion guy, the type guy we were talking about, they finally have to duke it out solo, and they it goes on for a while, and there's a big, you know, they do the last thing, and I was expecting it to be that they would both kill each other, because they make a clear point of showing, like, the good king goes down, but Belt is, like, seriously got in the shoulder, but yeah. he recovers, he wins the duel, but while he's walking off, uh, what we later establish is Carla, she rains a spear down from the sky, just bam! Yeah, yeah, like the shot of the century. <laughs> yeah, it's brutal. There's actually some really brutal violence in this show, considering it was run on TV. Like, when there are massacres, there's plenty of blood. When they show the aftermath, they linger on that, and you get a lot of individually drawn, splayed bodies. With Yeah, I noticed spears. that a lot of these soldiers kind of suck compared to these monster dudes. Uh, that's most medieval stuff. There was, <laughs> oh, there was one that, that, that really made me go, oh, God, I think it's in the third episode where the fort is first attacked, there's a spell cast that's the one guy that like mummifies him alive. It, it's like yeah, it's like, they, yeah. it's like he opened the Ark of the Covenant. I was like, oh whoa, <laughs> shit got real. And again, when Beld is killed, they do a very detailed, gruesome close up. He's like his face is contorted, and like that spear is just doused in blood. It it looks like yeah. it hurt. But in the next episode, like I, I, they skip forward a bit, but they do finally start to piece. Like I said, that 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 king that they told that they visited the out of order stuff. That's when he established like he had been, I guess consorting with Carla to some degree or she was visiting him but he was no longer willing to go along with to let her do this stuff and he laid things out and so he explained look she is the real threat this war and even like she's very mysterious at first she's saying like yeah you can this guy's gonna win this guy's gonna win it's okay and it's like and she even saying like why do you think I you think I, I actually it's important to me that Beld wins no and so by the time they get to this final fight and again this last this you know, midpoint finale. I almost wonder that, like, if they built it as a finale in case they didn't get renewed or something. Um, mm. But she, which the animation gets good in that again because they meet this pair of mercenaries. This one girl, uh, Shiris, and a guy, and a guy named Orson. I remember that because his name was Orson. Come on, who is a berserker? Which is good. I like how they handle that. Where he's so mellow at first, but once they get him aggravated, he he goes berserk, and she has to calm him down. And she's like, "Please don't kill him." Um, <laughs> So, like, the animation gets really good for that again. Like, a lot of fully animated sword fights and like between them and Parm. Uh, so, for the second half, they finally track down uh, Carla to this creepy temple. And she lays it all out. And basically, she's Thanos. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> her original <laughs> life, she was part of a civilization that gained power. But it, that was too proved to be its undoing. And so, she is like, I want to preserve balance in Lodos. Not by killing half the population, but she's like, so as I kept myself alive, because it's been very clear, her number one thing throughout this thing is manipulation. She'll intimidate, she'll confuse, and she'll pull some strings for some time time to like, you know, thrust the plot in this war and conflict in even further. So she's like, look, I'm never really on, permanently on any country, on any, on any kingdom or person's side. I'm going to keep, I'll keep the, so there's these, because the, the good king, he had the goal of unif- unifying all the countries. Um, and Belg was – was it Belg? Belg. He was about conquering all of it. And she was like, look, unification or conquering, you had, you get the same outcome, which is that it all becomes one united thing. And I feel like that would eventually lead it to fall apart. If you keep it separate by any means necessary, you're preserving it. So right. noble intentions, horrible way of doing it, much like Thanos. And that actually, I think that raised my uh, opinion of her quite a bit because I thought that was kind of a more unique 
uh, motivation than just throw the world in the darkness. That's because that's what I was expecting. Like she'd want, she's like, I want everyone to die. And it's like, no, I'm trying to do the opposite. I'm just being really shitty about it. Yeah, that, that's actually one of my favorite things because, like, so you could you could kind of agree with her. Well, it's like Thanos. You can agree with the goal, but not the means of getting there. Yeah, yeah. Not not spearing people. Uh, that's actually, I think that's Parn's best moment, too, where he points out, like, what a loss of humility it is. Where he's like, you're kind of just using all these individuals as pawns. You're not valuing their individual lives. Mm-hmm. And that pisses him off. And for once, I was like, yeah, yeah, Parn, yeah. <laughs> um, and, of course, he immediately she immediately sends him flying. So, cause yeah, Parn. yeah, Parn has his moments. Yeah, and actually, the outcome, the defeat, I think also probably one of the better emotional moments, too. Because um, before the fight starts, uh, Gim tells tells Slane straight up, like, hey, whatever is about to happen through here, don't try and protect me. Don't cast your spells. Let me do what I got to do. And he's carving, uh, I guess, a comb-type thing because it was the same thing that thing he did with uh, Lelia when she was normal. Because, like I said, when, they first, when he first encountered Carla in that, like, cursed forest— he recognized her, even though it was possessed and messed up. I was like, oh, God, I know what's happened now. i got to figure this out. And, again, Marvel, he pulls a uh, Steve versus Bucky situation. He might as well be going, <laughs> you know me. No, I don't! You know, he's repeating the name over and over. And for a while, she is not – he's like, yeah, no, I've suppressed her consciousness. You're – man, you're stupid. And then his, his, his big secret weapon is that comb. And I love the fact that for just a moment – like her eyes widen. There's there's still a little bit left. She's like, oh wait, and that's enough time for her for the others to start attacking her. And she's she's fighting them off, of course. And she's already really weak in Gim. And while she's not looking, he throws his axe because they point out. So the real soul of her is in that. Uh, I think they call it a circle. But it's basically like a tiara. It's mm-hmm. like whoever wears that that becomes Carla. And so right. he knocks that off, and that pretty much saves the day. She's back to being Lelia. But uh, Gim passes, and but he seems at peace, and it's 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 a legit good moment. I thought in terms mm-hmm. of his arc is complete. This was his goal. Um, this was his ultimate purpose in the story, and it works. And so th- so I guess we can start. Ta- you can start educating more because I've been dominating the conversation. Because there's more to this franchise beyond that arc. So one thing I think we mutually agreed on was kind of not the best way to handle removing Woodchuck from the story. Yeah, that's that's kind of one of my least favorite parts. Because also, uh, after the after the episode uh, that you finished, you kind of get the idea that they're trying to wrap everything up because they only got thirteen episodes. Mm-hmm. So they they kind of have this whole thing with Ashram kidnapping Deedlet that is probably my least favorite part of the entire series. How come? And and uh, it's just uh, it seems uh, it, I don't know. It just isn't compelling compared to the rest of the series also becomes... d seems a little too badass to just become a damsel in distress yeah guy. yeah and that's it's, it's like the problem i had with sword art online where like they sort of just make her into the, the damsel that parn has to save. yeah sword and... online did it in a much more creepy manner from what i understand yeah yeah they, they don't get that creepy with <laughs> oh thank god but um and there, there's it's interesting but there's still good um, stuff there but they met they do make a mistake with well i guess two of my favorite characters because so what happens to so what let me just say what happens to woodchuck is once things are done he's still hiding off in the corner but he sees the circlet emerge i guess it's, it can kind of move on its own and he was like ah cut to black the episode ends you they uh ito notices he's gone and then it cuts to woodchuck wandering solo in the desert because he has a much more serious demeanor and he has the circlet so now he's carla but by the time the show ends she's possessed another woman and we don't know what happened to woodchuck 
Right. But I guess if we're looking at things factually, he had to have been killed for her to abandon his body. But it still would have been nice to get closure. Yeah, and they, I don't think they really address that. Apparently they, they don't, they, which sucks. Yeah, afterwards, they sort of are on this thing where they're like, you know, we have to avenge our friend Woodchuck. We were doing this for Woodchuck. and um, Yeah, so it's like he is dead, but we still don't know what happened. Yeah, but they're not really clear about it. Maybe the books tell that and they had to cut it for time. I don't know. And yeah, I like and I, I like the series so much. I'm really unsatisfied with the way it ends. Mm. But um, they do kind of make that up in the TV show, though. Oh, um, so is there anything you want to say about the remaining OVA episodes, or do you want to move on to other uh, entries? Um, it's it's definitely um, I would say it's definitely worth watching just for uh, completion. Yeah, because there's and, still even without the Woodchuck stuff, would feel it would, it would kind of felt like kind of a quick wrap up. So I don't yeah, know if but I feel like it. I do feel like uh, we, we didn't touch on they they because they only introduced the dark elves and the mercs in those last couple of episodes, and I understand they do more later on. Yeah, there is sort of like a thing with the dark elves where um, Ostrom had his girlfriend uh, Puritess. Uh, I'm was? looking. Hang on, hang on. Yes, Puritess. Yeah, so there's this whole thing that uh, kind of is segues into those spinoff movies where Ostrom and uh, like Ostrom survives, and then uh, him and, and wait, Pearl, who's Ostrom? Uh, he's, he's like the right hand uh, guy of Bell, the long dark haired uh, yeah, one, the black, the black knight dude. Yeah, the, yeah, uh, he lives. The soul crusher sword. Mm-hmm. So they they have this whole side thing where uh, it seems like they just sort of set it up so they can make these two movies, where they're mm-hmm. like, yeah, we survived. Let's run away. Does together. he become a main villain later on? Um, in in the movies, he's sort of a side protagonist. Oh, he switches sides. Yeah, yeah, he kind of. But the thing about those movies is, uh, I feel like they when they dub them, I've only seen them dubbed, so they might be really good. Uh, Wait, are we, are we talking about Tristania? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I will say, I watched a little bit of those dubs. Those dubs are shit. Yeah, they're they're pretty awful. It was because it was ADV who got the rights to those. Yeah, and they and they treat it like it's a different property. I feel like they were trying to sell it like a, as an independent thing. And okay, so let's just touch try on this to briefly. Sever yeah. as many time ties there, to the original source material. This is what we hinted at this earlier. So there were two. I guess was it one theatrical movie, then another OVA. Um, I think so. And Legend I, of Cristania. Never and been had, uh, sure which one came first. Uh, I'm not either. I think well, I think the OVA is a sequel, The Chaos Ring. Right. Um, okay. But I know that it, all I really know about it is. Because I, I kind of just skimmed through it, so I wasn't really—I couldn't really tell you anything about the story of characters. It is the same world, but a different country and cast. So some of the same fundamentals and maybe some side characters, but kind of a separate journey from Parn's uh, group. Yeah, which not a bad idea on paper, but it just sounds like the execution was not up to that uh, same level. Yeah, and I'm re- I'm really not a fan of how it looks either. The, the art style is really—I um, don't even know how to describe it—blocky. In a weird way, it looked more like subpar OVAs from the time. Like for anyone who's ever seen stuff like Garzy's Wing, <laughs> yeah. Though I would recommend the dub of Garzy's Wing for comedic value. It's incredible. I have uh, these yeah. bruises because I had to fight naked. <laughs> I must somehow make sense of our convoluted situation. <laughs> Man, maybe I'll do an episode about that someday. Um, but yeah, it, was, it did seem to have a different look than because I know I think I read Lodos had a very uh, like uh, prominent character designer, right? Uh, and apparently, Christania, I guess Christania didn't, or at least the staff was not up to the task of of that. Well, I know the director. I think I don't. I can't remember what his name is offhand. He's like by, by today's standard, he's like 
uh, one of the legendary old school directors, but it was like really early in his career, so it's the art. Like it looks, he's still learning. Yeah, like it, it's not horrible, but it's compared to Lotus Wars, it doesn't look good. Ryutaro Nakamura. Yeah. Um, oh, he directed Serial Experiments Lane. People like that. Right, one. right, right. Yeah. He actually died a few years ago. I did not know that. He was only 58. That's a shame. Um, let me That's see great. what else. He did Ghost Hound, Kino's Journey, um, Soccer Wars. Right. Uh, those are the ones I'm recognizing, at least. But yeah, no, he did some good stuff. He <laughs> he also worked on uh, Standalone Complex, Loop on the Third. He, he, he worked on some good stuff. Yeah. And like maybe like I said, maybe the subtitled uh original Japanese version is Did a this bit better. story still seem not as compelling, even separate from the voices? Yeah, the, the story it was just so different. It wasn't even like the same thing. You, you get too different of a vibe. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like a completely different show. Almost like a completely different world. Because I don't even think they call they they changed Pyrotessa's name where she goes by a different name. Maybe in the everything. sub they kept it. Yeah, so I'm not sure. Maybe like if I could find the original uh, subs, I'll go back and watch it. Yeah, I bet see. most just places that you can watch it or buy it will have the sub. Almost yeah, all these sure. do that. Yeah, if I can find it, I'm sure it's dirt cheap. Also, yeah, because not highly regarded. So actually, there is one other major uh, version of Lodos War that you you have seen. And want to talk about, which is, and I just give me just seconds. I want to pull up the uh, the chronology of this because it's a little spaced out. I think. Mm-hmm. I can't find when the books were written. I know the 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 Gun and Dragon thing was in the eighties. Oh, actually, no. the The books did begin in the eighties and continued into nineteen ninety five. Um, and there's some video games too. I'd like to try some of the Super NES. Well, I think they actually did do a Dreamcast. I heard there was a uh, Dreamcast one. Uh, yeah, supposedly the Dreamcast one is pretty good. If it you apparently like. plays a lot. It borrowed a lot from Diablo. Yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty and much. It uh, was localized. Apparently, they used a completely different dub cast of British people, though. Yeah, I, mean, I, haven't, I haven't actually played it. The game itself but, is supposed uh, supposedly to be it's pretty good, though. If, yeah, if you're yeah. That type, um, type I know. I remember another prominent fantasy series anime, Berserk, got a Dreamcast game that got localized. Yeah, that's how I discovered that that series. Uh, I played yeah. the Dreamcast game first before I even knew it was okay. like a. a so thing. I'm just pulling this up real quick. So the OVAs, yeah, made from June 1990 to November 1991 was when they, how they pretty quick. Uh, period to publish all of those too um like i said it's amazing that the animation never goes off model or anything um i know we talked about like limiting the, the action scenes but yeah madhouse for you uh so in 1998 uh the studio aic did i guess basically a rebooted version of the story yeah uh, and it actually a 27 like episode uh tv series record of lotus war chronicles of the heroic night which has also been licensed by Funimation. I don't know how the, how if they dubbed it or how that was. Yeah, the version I saw was the dub. Did it seem and, any good? Um, it, it was pretty good. It's I would say it's probably slightly worse than the original, but it's not bad. Okay, and I think no. they got a lot of the original voice actors. I know. Uh, Did Lisa, they get uh, Lisa Ortiz? Yeah, she's in there, and I. Parn sounds weird to me, but I think he's the original voice actor too. Yeah, well, I think I said like. Yeah, uh, Parn, her, and uh, damn it, Ito or whatever. Those are the only three that have a decent amount of other anime roles. Mm-hmm. So tell me more about because actually the way you described it to me, it was so the OVA did the thing where I guess it caught up to where the books were at a point. So the stuff in the episodes that I haven't watched, they made up their own story. 
Yeah, yeah. So um, the TV show actually picks up, um, I think, af- right after the War Heroes or the War Heroes maybe. Is wait what 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 is the War Heroes the Carlaw stuff or is it after? So the, the War of Heroes is uh, when the two uh, kings Beld and um, the other king, the Lion the, King. Yeah, yeah. When they two they they fight in the okay. middle of that big battlefield and uh, one dude gets speared. Okay, so they pick it up there, and so I guess they cover a little bit of the same ground as the OVA. But yeah, this was basically a Full Metal Alchemist situation where yeah, the original they kind of like jump they jump way ahead also. Okay, yeah, just let me just kind of explain that to people who aren't familiar with either of these. So when the original Full Metal Alchemist anime came out, the manga was not done, and they basically had to make up their own last, like, third and ending, which kind of divided a lot of people. And that show was such a huge phenomenon, it was the rare case of earning enough clout to do basically a remake, but one that was pretty much 100% faithful to the manga because it was done by them. And I guess this was a case, too, where the original – it took a while. Um, like I said, this was like seven years after the OVA ended. But um, this show got enough popularity because it apparently was one of the bigger shows in the early anime fandom of the 90s that they – and they were into a different studio. But they were like, yeah, let's do it again and let's properly adapt these novels. And you were telling me, obviously, with it being a TV show, the animation isn't as good – but yeah, it's it's actually I, I think it's good. It just doesn't look as good as the OVA. It's no, which makes sense. OVAs and movies conventionally look better in Japan than yeah. And it's it's, it's the style is slightly different. It's not as dramatic as the um, the Cristania. Yeah, movies. they probably had to streamline it a bit for TV, and maybe they used but different I, designers. I, yeah, I think it, it still looks really good though. And there's some scenes that are that are really well animated in it. So yeah, and how would you say the uh, story fares compared to the OVA? Um, it's pretty good. I actually like it a lot, and um. It's it's like the first it's back in the day when like we were buying anime on VHSs. This was like the first VHS uh, anime series I was buying with my own money. Wow, and I, they were really expensive. It was like oh, 30, I have heard. Yeah, it was like it thirty was like bucks 30 for two bucks episodes for like, or something. Yeah, dumb. something crazy like that. I still have them in here somewhere. Anime fans today so are kid, kid anime fans today are spoiled. I know we sound like crockety old men. I, I remember I wanted to get into Trigon, but I was like three episodes for thirty bucks. No thanks. Yeah, I used to go to Suncoast, and I have half the series, actually. I've never oh, seen... Oh, man, so many, we probably have so many listeners. What's Suncoast? <laughs> We're old. Yeah, but it's it's actually really good, and um, they spend a lot more time with Shiris and Orson exploring his whole uh, Berserker backstory. Oh. I, I would say, like, a, a, at least, like, a quarter of the series, uh, at least from what I've seen, is, is dedicated to Orson and, hmm. and sort of, like, trying to cure him, because I feel like they kind of rushed that. No oh, of the Berserker. Guy. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm looking right now. There's a a great fight scene in the beginning too. The first episode, uh, when they come across Orson, there's there's like a really awesome uh, fight scene with him and Parn. Nice. Because one thing they they kind of did also different from the OVA is Parn is kind of leveled up in the TV show, so he's more capable. Yeah, he's they like make it a point to like point out that he's like uh, crazy good now, and he has a weird. Uh, kind of man voice. <laughs> okay, I, okay. Just so, just so you know, because we were talking about the dub cast, I'm checking Anime News Network. So, uh, yeah, besides Lisa Ortiz, uh, uh, Parn and Eto kept their actors. Um, and it's, it sounds like if if Parn was like, uh, it was a couple years later, so maybe that actor either his voice had changed or he just wanted to do a different approach. It's it sounds like Parn doing his impression, like the character Parn. Doing his impression well, of what a actually one thing really I'm noting. I'm looking at page like. here. Uh, this is Bill Timoni. He was the ADR director for the OAV dub, 
but I'm not seeing him having a behind the scenes role in the show. So maybe somebody directed him differently. Yeah, it, it might be what it is. Yeah. And I, I definitely I like him better in the show than I do in the uh, OVA. I, f- I feel like they make him uh, slightly more um, endearing. Capable. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's good. That's probably the biggest issue I have in terms of character, especially since the, he, it, this is his story more than anybody else's. Yeah, and he's definitely a little bit more of a badass in this. Nice. One. Nice. Is, is Slane still a badass, though? Oh, yeah, he's always a badass. Of course, of course. And I'm sure Game would be if he if he survived. Um, <laughs> but, okay, so what are some other things you, you want to bring up about the show in terms of story or moments? And spoilers are fine. Um, so they, um, there, there's a part in the OVA where they, they um, talk about uh, the dragon shooting star. Yeah, that's pretty quick in the OVA. Yeah, that's a, I think that's almost like an arc in, in the TV show. Is it about well, that, the, the tale they told about wanting to sacrifice the princess? Or I guess it would be later. So uh, they go to see King Cashew, and like he he's like an obstacle they have to take care of before they can get to their next uh, plot point. Hmm. So they dedicate a lot of time to actually trying to kill Shooting Star. Funny name for a dragon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Isn't that... I know, give me a second. Uh, yeah, I just... I. Oh, dang, I was so close. I was going to think of that Earth, Wind, and Fire song, but that's Shining Star. Shining Star. That would have been good. Shooting Star. They should play that when the dragon's attacking. <laughs> and when I saw in the OBI, I get the vibe. The dragons in this are kind of treated like in Skyrim. Like, they are not common. Um, yeah, they um, they have a lot of sleeping dragons. I that's think. what I, I mean. Think in the, Sky- the, the, that the was going on, isn't that what was going on in Skyrim where they hadn't been seen for a long time? And the game yeah, starts because right they were they like back? asleep and now they're starting to wake up. Yeah. Also in Skyrim, one of the dragons is voiced by Mario. Uh, voiced by who? Charles Martinet, Mario, voices one of the dragons you talk to in Skyrim. He just appears and he's like, it's a me. No, you can't tell it's him. He has a deep voice oh, okay. and maybe do some effects on <laughs> The blades are wise not to trust me. Only Khan Miov. I would not trust another Dova. Okie dokie. I mean, I, I met that guy at, at, at Awesome Con. He's a legit got, nice guy. But he also, it's easy to forget, he is a legitimate actor. You can see his like live action demo reels and stuff. He's oh, wow. just most famous for characters that don't say much. Yeah, right, right. But uh, yeah, shout out to Charles Martinet. Uh, so, another thing I could say is um, I really like the opening credits of the TV show. Okay, I'll check it out. I like the opening and closing songs of the OVA. Mm-hmm. They're certainly songs of the time, but uh, they're, they're nice. And the, the, especially the credit song, very serene. Um, it can be a nice thing to cleanse your palate when you have an episode that ends really heavy. Uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, no, like I said, I never. There, there's a part where they uh, time skip in the TV show. Yeah, you were saying like they skip a couple years. Yeah, and I, I haven't seen any of the time skip stuff because that's actually where I when I stopped uh, buying the VHSs. Okay, <laughs> so you can't give itself much about this. Yeah, and, and I don't think they re- re-released it on. Um, well, like maybe, I said, maybe they, it's the, on. Maybe so, it's on DVD now. But, yeah, um, yeah. I was gonna say, um, if you're if 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 anybody listening is interested and willing to shell some money for this, uh, Funimation rescued the license because Central Park went out of business a while ago, and they have recently re-released a box set containing both Blu-rays of the OVA and a DVD box set of the show. Um, yeah, I'd be really interested in uh, rebuying the show. And yeah, because like, I watched. Um, I'll admit, I just tracked down some some uh, torrent of the OVA, but it was a Blu-ray rip, and it looked nice. Especially given the time period. Like I said, that first episode, I was like, holy shit, man. Um, yeah, that first episode is great. Oh, pure eye candy. and It's, uh, it's like everything you've wanted to see from, like, like any RPG you ever played. And also, I mean, if you do like, because I've heard people comment on this, you know, 
anime from the 80s and 90s and also the 70s stuff like pre-digital era that has a unique look to it in terms yeah, of you I know feel, it's really very plainly i feel like the pencil like it's not pencil but like it feels line work definitely hand drawn yeah yeah well there's it's there's a sketchier look to it because they were doing physical ink and, and, and paint and i did want to say um one thing i did think was a cool little artistic choice that i didn't that isn't that common uh when they do a lot of like profile and close-up shots of characters the border lines of their of them of their face and heads and stuff are thicker than normal it yeah, I really it like, like that. Too. That's feel. the thing I wish they still did. They kind of like I know they they were doing it weirdly in uh, Dragon Ball Super. Some, I, I think there's still like. some shows to do it, but yeah, that's another. That's less a thing about technology and more just personal preference that seems to have gone away. Yeah. And I do like the sleekness in, in in modern digitally anime. I think my main issue is that 99 percent of the shows out there look like Sword Art Online. They, yeah, they kind of have some the very. Same, there's a very serious problem. Of, <laughs> there's a very serious problem of homogenization, even in good shows nowadays. Yeah, and actually, I guess I could say the same for older stuff too. It's just that I don't see it as much anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I'm sure there are a million, there are a hundred uh, anime protagonists back then who look like Parn. Yeah, brown hair protagonist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they had much sparklier looking eyes back in the day. I gotta say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess we can start drawing things to a close. So uh, we've kind of we've kind of gone all over the place, but that's okay. Um, I I got all my. I guess I could just look over my notes to make sure there's not anything random I would want to bring up. But uh, do you have any other just random notes about any aspect of this franchise you want to touch on? Well, there, okay, there is one thing I, I remembered about the TV show. So the strangest thing about the TV show mm-hmm. is that they have these like uh, these really short, uh, super deformed versions. Oh, like comedy skits? Yeah, comedy skits at the end of every episode that really don't fit into the narrative. <laughs> it's a serious like it really, show. It really breaks, yeah, it really breaks up the uh, the whole seriousness of the situation. That's a common anime thing, but I feel like they usually don't do it, they usually do it in more lighthearted shows. Yeah, the, skit, the skits are amazing. You have to watch the show just for those skits. They're amazing when they're skits. more isolated from the show, I guess. Yeah, I think if you can watch them um, like by themselves... They, they'll probably come off better. Okay. They're, 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 they're completely different than the TV show. But they're yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. I would assume. <laughs> yeah, with they're, super they're like one of my favorite stuff. things about the TV show. Yeah. Oh, okay. So very small notes about... I know one... My favorite little moment with uh, Carla early on, it's pretty. It's like one of the first times they meet her when she tries to abduct that princess. Mm-hmm. I love that Like they're, she's in the middle of like having her spells cast and like massacring the guards in the carriage. And like the princess is looking around outside the window. And Carla... As a, nobody even noticed, he's already just sitting across from her. Like, yeah, they they can't help you. It's a really cool, <laughs> effective. Because she, she does the Batman thing, like where Belle's talking to her. They look away for a second, and then she's just gone. Yeah, and then she's just gone. You just expect Belle to go. She does that, and then yeah, someone should have done it to her, and she would go, "Oh, so that's what that feels like." So that's what that feels like. Yeah, they uh, spend all this time establishing Belle and uh, everybody else as these uh, bad guys, and I was always like, "Who is who is she?" Like, yeah, I, they. She they, seems they, much more threatening. And she was. They were total saps. Man, yeah. I wonder if they were like, oh, woman being stronger than us? Har, 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 har. Um, <laughs> it was medieval times, you know? Uh, yeah. Okay, actually, yeah, one small thing that I will give Parn credit for, I, I, I don't know if I can say this about the dub, he does some killer battle cries from time to time. I was starting to think he reminded, like, I was like, this guy, this dub actor, if he's down there today, he could make a good Link. And then I swear, he did a full-on, shot. And I'm like, yep, there's Link. <laughs> Sword and Shield. Yeah, I don't know. Crazy. The dub actor is more like uh, sounds ah. like a, a struggling. Uh, I don't know somebody who like fell off a ladder or something. <laughs> ah, ow! Oh, yeah. so he's like Rouge falling to her death. 
Um, yeah, pretty close to that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's a good note to end things on. Uh, Link, falling off ladders, Rouge the Bat. That's what we all think about when we think of our record of Lotus War. <laughs> but uh, I think that'll bring episode 30 to a close. Again, Ben, thanks so much for uh, agreeing to do this and giving us a, a great topic to tackle. Um, I'll definitely, I don't know if we'll, if we'll do, devote an episode to it again, but I'll definitely watch more of it and let you know my thoughts through like Twitter and the like. Yeah, that's um, cool. Thanks for having me. I really uh, appreciate being on. Yeah. yeah, and just again, quick bit of self-promotion. Where on like Twitter and like websites can people find you and your work? I am uh, at Daikon V on Twitter. I'm also on Instagram um, at Budafist with two D's and an H. Okay, how, and spell Daikon V too. Uh, D-A-I-C-O-N-V. Okay. And, and um, so those are your primary accounts you think people can follow you on? Yeah, I'm also on YouTube under, uh, I think, I am di- youtube.com slash DaikonV. Okay, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll Google it and see where it gets me. Okay. Um, myself, you can find me, uh, I pretty much use the username Bahonkis for everything, B-E-H-O-N-K-I-S-S, most active on Twitter, Tumblr, uh, and YouTube, I guess, because I still do regular videos there, even smaller, goofier ones. Like, I know I told you about the WarioWare uh, Gold Studio dub option, Mm-hmm. Uh, for those who don't know, you can unlock. That's the first game in that series to have fully voice acted cutscenes, which is awesome for a fanboy like me. But you can unlock the ability to use the 3DS microphone and dub over any character in those scenes. And one of the best scenes is the character 18 Volt has a full on rap battle with this girl. And <laughs> uh, I was like, I know it has to be done. And I had him and her tag team the Fresh Prince theme song. That's amazing. So I'm doing my normal <laughs> voice for her, and then he cuts to, in West Philadelphia, born and raised on the playground. Um, so look that up on YouTube. Just when I'm not I, doing, yeah, I definitely need to watch that. Yeah, I'm, I'm planning to do a review of, I almost chose that as my topic for this opening instead of Ant-Man, um, but I'm, I want to give it its own video. I don't care if it's a month late. There's some gold har-har and, and to be to my mind there. I'm such, a, I'm such a fanboy for that series and, you know, it's the first proper one in a decade. You better, I want to do some stuff with it. Uh, and beyond that, you can expect the the first part of the new Warrior Tuned episode. I'm still trying to get it out by the end of August and if it's not that, then it'll be within the first couple days of September and that's a promise. Uh, I, I've kept you waiting long enough. And again, if you follow the grandmother videos, check the new announcement to see where you subscribe to instead for future ones. I'll hopefully have a new one up in the coming weeks. And uh, again, um, I mentioned the beginning, episode 31, I can't give it, oh, I guess I should, yeah, there's one more relevant announcement concerning this show, um, and you don't even know this, I guess it's not that big, but um, it's just going to be a change in scheduling, which is that when me and Chris first started this show, we were like, yeah, let's do one every week, it became very quickly apparent that is harder, that is easier said than done, so we changed it to bi-weekly, twice a month, and now, you know, we're sit- we're regularly encountering these bumps in the road that give us like okay now it's been a month and a half i'm not saying we're gonna do month and a half two months but i'm going to i am probably going to be making this a monthly podcast from the future outside of possible bonus stuff like the infinity war spoiler cast like i'm pretty i'm willing to bet that i'll pull tyler or someone else aside next year or like the weekday avengers 4 comes out let's record something but i hope everybody's okay with that and i i think part of that is also like i i I'm never content to just take the raw audio and upload it. I edit out a lot of pauses, technical issues. I level the audio so nothing's too loud. I add clips from the shows, background music. And, you know, I want to make it the best thing. And considering how many other projects I've been juggling recently, I'm also trying to add another part-time job on top of my full-time one. 
I'm going to scale back a bit, but I, I certainly have no intention of ending this show. If you think I'm working my way towards that, hell no. I'm going to do this as long as I possibly can. I love doing this show. I love talking with guys like you, Chris, Patrick, and the like, um, and I love knowing that people are enjoying it too. Um, so don't worry about that. But stay tuned again to the follow the Twitter, follow the Facebook at SketchWatchPlay, Facebook.com slash SketchWatchPlay. Any news regarding future topics, announcements, and possible delays, that's where that's where you'll be the first to hear them. And again, since I talked about it, we teased in the past, episode 31, we'll see the return of Patrick, and we will do our full Ninja Turtles retrospective, uh, opening topics have not been decided yet, but I definitely look forward to that. It's probably going to be very long and very radical uh, to go along <laughs> with the turtles. Uh, by the way, Ben, I don't put putting you on the spot. Do you have a favorite turtle? Leonardo, all day. Really? Yeah. That's not a common answer. Double swords, baby. <laughs> just, is it just because of the swords? Uh, you, a lot, you, you, what you'll learn is a lot of things I like have to do with swords. <laughs> ah, well, oh man, Chris Lash makes so much sense now. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I'm a Donatello guy for life. Uh, and I actually don't know what Patrick's favorite is. Um, but uh, I guess I'll have to ask him about that. I wonder if it's changed. Because uh, I know a lot of kids' favorites are Michelangelo. But when you grow up, you're like, he's an idiot. Let me pick someone else. <laughs> Even when he's lovable, he's still an idiot. Yeah. Uh, th- th- did you ever see the CG Team and Team movie? Uh, yeah, I actually really like that movie. Uh, yeah, that's that the one, the two movies I'll say right now. The two of them that I think are legit good are that and the first live action movie. And there's a part where like Raph screws up and his tongue Splinter. I understand why you're why I'm you know least favorite. And he Splinter's like, "You're my most rebellious, but you're not my least favorite." And I want him to say, "That would be Mikey." <laughs> you know, it has to be Mikey. Everybody Mikey, knows that. I love you, my son, but God, you're stupid. <laughs> All right, um, that'll bring things to a close. But uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being patient during our break, and look forward to you know turtle talk, ha ha ha, and more down the line. Uh, thanks again for for Ben for joining. Give him a follow if you like what he he's talked about. Um, but I'm John Flurry. I'm Ben Reynolds. And what is a body? But merely a dress to wear and discard over time. But enough talk. How about you?